Okay. Well, we're back again for another interview with the Dungeon Master because last time was so much fun, uh, we just decided we had to do it again. Um, also, we realized that uh, between the two of us, we'd scratched maybe 10% of what we could really have gotten into. So, uh, anyways, we're going to do it all again, right? Yep, part yep. two. So, I'm here with Drew again, and uh, I'll hand it over to you so we can get going here. Well, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, intrepid listeners uh, and fellow relic seekers. Uh, as you know, my name is Drew. I play Krabal normally on our podcast, and we've also smattering other characters, and I am talking with Michael the DM. Michael has spent the last four years of his life running this behind the scenes and keeping all his crazy cats together at the table to make sure that we can uh, put out a entertaining and fun podcast for our listeners. Sometimes um, literally cats, too. Yes, tabaxis and four-legged otherwise. Gone through lockdowns and sicknesses and real-life ups and downs, and here we are now just to go back and get the Dungeon Master's view. For those that listened last time, you saw that I bounced back and forth quite a lot in that one, trying to cover a whole wide spectrum of subjects. In the next coming interviews, if there's more after this one, um, we're actually going to be going over the timeline chronologically, getting the Dungeon Master's thoughts, uh, feedback from me, and in general, any other questions that might come up. Um, as he uh, always puts out in interviews, if you have any questions concerning what you hear, please send them in to us and we will happily address them during our podcast. So without further ado, here we go. Part two of Michael the Dungeon Master's interview. So as we all know, we started this about five years ago. It was uh, five people sitting down who love podcasts and love Dungeons and Dragons and a Dungeon Master who thought it would be a great idea with his relatively dead and useless schedule to try to cram <laughs> one more little thing in. Um, but we've had a lot of fun learning, made some mistakes, made some huge a lot of advancements, a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Um, but in this case, we're just going to talk about the story. So we all, we're going to skip the part about character creation because we've gone over a bunch. We're going to skip the part about meeting up for the first time. because we've gone over that. We're actually going to talk now about the first patrol. And this was the first adventure with this new party beyond the role playing of mm -hmm. who each character looked like and what they're going to do upon initially entering town. So, and actually, we might want to bop back to actually forming the group up. Um, well, I believe we yeah. covered that in the last interview. But we formed the. Yeah, I had some more thoughts on that too. Okay, well, listen, yeah. then let's, yeah. let's bop back. Tell us. Yeah. So, um, anyways, yeah, so five freaks on a leash walk yes. into. Actually, first of all, that, 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 that we can actually fix that. This was not a normal five people meet in a bar. Yeah, and and that was um, where I was trying to figure out how we were going to get the group together. Um, Obviously, the, we meet in a tavern. I mean, it's actually the name of a podcast. Um, it's a, such a trope in uh, in the uh, you know realm of the role playing game. Um, and then a lot of times, uh, just recently, we'd had everybody formed up by um, having them be like caravan guards or something like that, where they all got mm -hmm. slapped together. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's the big question: is like, how do you get a group together? I mean. You could just like hand wave it and say, okay, we're all friends. And so we just decided that, you know, life's a little boring around here. We're going to go out and adventure together. Um, but in this case, you know, everybody was quite different. So how did, I mean, are they just going to run to each other in town and, you know, all of a sudden go, hey, let's go adventure together. Well, you know, kind of stretches uh, credulity. So I uh, was kind of casting about for ways to go and get the party together. And I kind of hit on them being impressed into the guards. And that way it's like, you know, you got assigned to the, uh, to this particular patrol. These are your people, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you're just kind of stuck with them. 
Um, cause otherwise, you know, I mean, you, everyone's, you know, heard of the, the famous cases where like a group of uh, people get together to, uh, you know, go run a D and D game and, you know, the dungeon master says, okay, you're all in town and there's a board and it's got a request for people to, to do something. And like four of the five people say, okay, yeah, we're going to go to, uh, the wizard and find out what he needs done. And the fifth person's like, I'm just going to go to the bar and sit down. And you're like, why are you even here? <laughs> you know? But yeah, so you need you need a device for getting the group together, uh, be it, you know, you're a group of friends or in this case, you know, you've all been assigned to the same militia patrol. Yeah, and it was I thought it was very well done because I, I've learned in my years of doing a dungeon master work that even when you have people that are used to playing with each other, whenever it comes to their characters, they hate being told what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in, in the slightest way. So it was... Uh, a stroke of luck or a stroke of good fortune that when you said you all are going to appear, I mean, you told us we mm-hmm. are going to appear for this job. It wasn't an option that yeah. people didn't immediately start rebelling just out of. Yeah. Well, ego. also we kind of like had storyline reasons, you know, uh, the monks got kicked out of the monastery. They're wandering around lost, not, not really knowing what to do. Oh, Hey, the militia is hiring. Um, in the case of Creval, he, you know, got laid off from his uh, job with the caravan um, same thing with Arlen, got kicked off his farm, um, you know, went into town looking for jobs and, oh, hey, the militia's hiring. So um, the, the, the one that was really kind of the wild card was actually uh, uh, Cotter. Um, and because, you know, he was supposed to go and visit the, the friar in town and then, you know, it didn't. Did he know, ever do that? I don't recall him ever doing that. Uh, no, the, you guys were hustled out of town before the friar, if, if you remember, appears when the town got overrun by undead. And he did actually, I think, run into him when he went back to Lowford. Um, but uh, yeah, he he did not run into him before you guys actually left town. So, um, but anyways, yeah. So he, I mean, he was the one of them that you know had the biggest reason to not join the militia. He could have just you know it's like no, I'm going to hang out with and wait for the friar, and then you know then I would have the friar show up and go. Well, what we really need is militia, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um... It was really masterfully well done. I'll try not to say um too much. That led us to the first patrol. Um, obviously, I did it again. <laughs> obviously, when you have level one characters, um, as pointed out in other situations, they they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. They can take one attack. They can cast. If you're a caster, you can cast either a cantrip or one of your two spell slots. Or, or if you're Arlen, you can run up next to a wolf, cast one of your spells, and then get attacked. I don't think anybody gets that reference, but if you ever a chance to listen to our first one, yeah, he literally, as a sorcerer with four hit points, runs up to the wolf and casts Firebolt. Firebolt. Yeah, right in his face. And then the wolf's like, okay, then let yeah. me go rip your throat out. It was hilarious. It's yeah. like, you could have stood back 30 feet. That's, but that, but that also, you know, that also plays into to the being the first patrol is that mm-hmm. it's important to note that at the time, we're all five years younger. For me, I'm, you know, that's not so big for me or Matthew or yourself, but for the younger players that put two of them still in high school, I believe. Yes. They would have been in high school back then. Yeah. So, you know, it's a youthful exuberance and not so much critical thinking that made him run up and do that. Um, but if you think about it, when you put, put that into a gaming standpoint, same thing, bunch of random strangers, someone's feeling nervous. He wants to feel like he's a big part of the role, wants to make an impression, doesn't think through his actions and, Everyone looks like you could have been back there doing that safely. Yeah, yeah. 
So it, it actually interesting how it played out that way. Yeah, well, it, it worked out very well in that, you know, okay, Arlen doesn't really know how to use his powers, so he was as surprised as everybody else that the Firebolt came out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like... Um, Owen's been playing this game for several years now, and he's he's had multiple times where he's like had a rogue and gotten in the middle of uh, the uh, battle and then got his butt handed to him. So he should know better by now, at least. You, you, know, would, you would think, think but you know, sometimes that's just what makes that person valuable to that table yep. is comic relief. Owen doesn't mean to be it. I know sometimes I think he takes a little, a little too much flack from us from it, <laughs> but he's wonderful at it. Yes. Um, so the first patrol... Why did you decide on animals versus something else? Okay, so I needed to set the stage of the you know world is going down the drain fast. Mm-hmm. And so if you remember each of the things that attacked you and it's like and then the, the question is why were these animals attacking you? Because normally the 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 you know number one rule in nature is the big stuff eats the little stuff. And so why would animals attack you? If there's like five of you, they'd be like, hey, that's a lot of people. I'm going to go over there. Mm-hmm. And then if you remember, every time that you got uh, done with the combat, the uh, corpses left behind, you'd be like, wow, this wolf is starving. So, yeah, I mean, and you think about it um, when like tigers attack people in, in India, uh, almost all of the ones that have been, you know, have been man eaters. When they track them down, they find out, oh, this, you know, he had an infected tooth or something, and it was difficult for him to hunt. But humans are nice and squishy, so mm-hmm. he, he figured out he could go Easy after prey. humans instead. Um, so same sort of thing. You know, it's like they're desperate, and you know, you, you're you are meat at that point in time. So that's that's why they would attack you. So, you know, and then, of course, also brought about the story things like the animals are starving. They're coming in to attack whatever they can because they're starving. Why are they starving? And then I remember that when we survived that, which was actually a close thing for it. I mean, it was really I I would encourage listeners to go back and listen to that, not for the sound, but just the the way the combat played out that it was really, really was life and death for those level one characters. Yeah. yeah. And it was really hilarious because, yeah, you guys were dropping like flies. And then Bryce actually... Um, well, I think you threw... Th- I want to say you threw three creatures at us, but two for sure. I think there were two wolves, and I think there was a frog, a giant well, frog. Well, you, uh, you started out with the spider, and then you spider. had a pack of wolves. And then the frog and the uh, lizard weren't until you were on your way to Waterfall City. Yeah. Um, and but, and all of those were just... I mean, even though their actions... They had the same actions we did in terms of in terms of uh, chopping down their returns. Mm-hmm. They were just better at it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and so you guys were dropping like flies, and I remember Bryce... You know, as a lone healer with his paladin, and he he brilliantly gave everybody one hit point. And and I remember when he did it the first time, I'm like, why would you not just give him five? That would allow him to to take several hits. But then he was like, then the next person dropped. I'm like, oh yes, he can he can bring people back up again five times, and they can get back in the fight. And and I remember after the second or third time, uh, Bryce just turned to everybody and said, come on guys, I've only got five of these. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, and that was just the dice gods on that day really being mean to all uh, one of many days when they weren't mm-hmm. agreeing with us. And poor Bryce, had, thankfully, was there mitigating that. Yep. Um, I also remember that after that mission was done, our big reward wasn't necessarily gold, but we got a free meal and drink. And the meal was even meager. It was like basically mashed potatoes and not much well, else. It depended who you were with. It was hilarious because you all got sent off to different households to spend the night because you were all strangers in the town. And some of you got sent to houses that were, you know, a big family and they had lots of food. And um, then like I remember... Um, 
Noan got sent off to this elderly couple and they're just like rigidly sitting at attention because they're absolutely, you know, intimidated by this devil person. Um, and yeah, some people got a, a bowl of gruel and some people got an I think entire that's what I got. And full I, was, English I think breakfast. I was in a barn. Yeah. Yeah. And some people got like a full English breakfast. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but eventually we will make it to Waterfall City, even though we had like a couple of close cars and or close calls. We all had very, I think the only money we had in our pockets was whatever we had during character creation. Yeah. Um, for most people that's like 10 gold, mm-hmm. but in this world it was a veritable fortune, which we didn't know at that time. Yeah. So we get to a bar that, and I don't, can you tell you the name of the bar and we're all sitting down that, that, that therein would become the most awkward role play moment for us to date where nobody wanted to talk about their characters. Yeah, that was fun. And we pulled that out. <laughs> um, we'll skip that because yeah. that's definitely having more people on the table talking about that funny moment. Mm-hmm. But then the next combat came in. And this actually threw me for a loop because I think the first fight was the beginning of the Torque Zombies. Yes, they came yeah. Up so from the, the basement. So you you all um, had the Torque Zombies come right. out of the basement and attack, and and the we fighters had, had to go get their gear from upstairs and come back downstairs. It, well, I, I remember at that early stage, I was like, okay, I want to play this somewhat like makes sense. So obviously they're going to take off their gear and they're going to relax because there was no reason to think that anything was going to happen. Mm-hmm. We had just had a bunch of things happening, so it, it was a we we're rolling no pun intended the dice. Yeah. And it came up craps. Yep. So the combat started and we, you know, they came out with thinking zombies, but then, you know, slice and there's blood. Uh Oh, but what is this? Um, What gave you the idea for fungally controlled humans? Okay. So actually that one, um, are you aware of the, the fungus that turns ants into zombies? No, but now I'm terrified. And so, yeah, it, it, it infects these ants. And then basically takes over their motor neural system and, and the ant is then um, compelled to go to outside of the nest to the highest point it can find. And then like these stalks of fungus grow out of its head. And this is a real thing. This is a real thing. And spread the, uh, the spores to the, fi- the winds. And then, of course, the ant dies. Um, and yeah, there's, That's there's horrifying. Yes. There's, uh, there's a, a bunch of metal things in nature. It's kind of scary. I mean, like for instance, there's, um, uh, a, uh, I think it's a parasitic wasp and it injects its eggs. Well, there's actually a whole bunch, whole bunch of animals that inject their eggs into other yeah, insects and, and they example. will like eat their way out. Or, mm-hmm. um, in the case of this one thing, the, uh, the you know, develops this, uh, worm, and then the, uh, there's all sorts of tales of people like getting a grasshopper and, and squishing it. And then the worm inside realizes that there, you know, the, its host is dying. And so it immediately tries to expel itself out of the animal. So you squish it and all of a sudden this worm comes writhing out of the corpse of the, uh, of the, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> there, there's that's a lot. A little, that, that's a little too graphic even for, for me. I'm not gonna lie. I, I yeah. apparently have a weak stomach for that stuff. That's why I don't do horror movies. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really, really crazy stuff in nature. And anyways, but so this is fungus that takes over ants. And so I was just thinking about, it's like, you know, uh, what if you had a fungus that had, you know, gotten into the foodstuffs and could then take people over? And, you know, basically rot their brain and, and replace their, their, uh, their motor neurosystem with a fungus. And, and well, now they're a zombie. I really wish we had more people at the table to kind of bounce this off of a little bit. But the battle in the bar and the battle in the street were so soon in the story that I don't think anyone ever really thought 
to connect it, try to, to leave a note to or a breadcrumb trail to come back to to start relating things now. So when I listen to the podcast, and I am actually one of our listeners, I go back and listen to the podcast. I can see now where I think some things line up, but because I'm still the player, I'm not confident in that because I'm just saying, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. So I don't want to touch on it too soon because I'll be jumping like ahead three mm-hmm. or four years. But I, I'm curious, and we'll after bringing up the mushrooms and the spore druids, and then fall, I want to know if that's if my thinking is just right on that of how what he was going on. Well, there. the um, the plan that I had, or the the overarching concept I had, was that you got these fogs that are coming down to the mountains, and right. you guys have figured out. And that's that, the thing we we always keep you bring them up. But yeah. We always forget, but the fogs were paramount to a lot of this. Yes, yeah, and so um, as you know, anywhere in you know, where there's a lot of damp fogginess, you end up with uh, mushrooms growing up. And cool, um, damp places, they love it. Yes. And, uh, you know, in fact, it'll like they'll take over everything if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I, and you guys have figured out that the phylacteries were actually causing, were placed in certain places and the fogs are basically emanating from those places. It was, yeah. it was affecting the local environment and causing the fogs. Which makes sense for a powerfully evil artifact, even mm-hmm. whether or not, whether or not there's actually there's something to them, but other than the fact that they're a false phylactery, and again, unfortunately, because I'm not a high intelligence character and I can't put this out there because Craval, one of the things that's always interested me, and again, we'll get into that as well, is the phylacteries are more than just what they initially appear, which is a fake phylactery. There's obviously more to them, mm-hmm. but again. That's what I'm glad we're having this for, because when we get to that point, I'm going to ask those questions. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, yeah, so it basically, if in it would be sort of like you know, if if we all of a sudden had a real big spell, like months mm-hmm. of cold, damp weather, um, and you, you see that here in the vineyards in in wine country. Yeah. If it gets cool and damp right before harvest, all of a sudden everything starts ke- you know getting fungus on it and starts rotting, which it wrecks the whole harvest yeah you end up with a lot of panic people doing panic things really fast and uh anyway so just thinking along those lines it's like okay well you know they've got the fogs everything is going fungus wise and so yeah fungus was going to um be a uh, big part of the whole you know thrust of the of the campaign and if you remember spore druids weren't out yet no, they came out in a later book because we when we started this, the only thing that was out was the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, and the Monster Manual. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's very true. And so that's that's why all the the races were in the Player's Handbook, all of the monsters were in the Monster Manual, and then we basically added on as you went on. You started encountering different monsters as various different books came out, and and we were able to add extra races and and uh, classes so as those came out sport druids would just have to be a happy coincidence then well you know they basically fit in you know i'm yeah I'm, exactly I was, I was going through um they came out in what in uh xanathar's and okay. and so I'm, I'm reading through and i'm like this is a perfect fit for our mm-hmm. campaign and so when we came around and when uh, we needed a, a druid um with the dragonborn that was you know the protagonist it's like of course they're a spore druid well so, I rem- so i'm looking at the thing here and and I don't want to get too far into sports because then we'll keep going. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to come back because we did the battle in the street, which yeah. got us no, lo, got it, us noticed by the local hierarchy. Well, actually, um, you had yeah, it it, it basically um, made you notable. Yeah, you already had an appointment mm-hmm. with the Baroness, um, and uh, but then yeah, they, she got a note saying these people did this. And actually, the battle in the street was kind of fun because. Um, I, it was kind of a, a multi-part thing. One is just I wanted to have a huge battle with a lot of minis and a lot of things going on um, just just to do it. But then also I, I had a need for an awful lot of um, XP 
to be dumped on you guys. And uh, that, that accomplished both those things. Because, you know, I have a hybrid leveling system. So it's, you know. It, you one know, part the, milestone, one part actual XP. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I basically have milestones. It's like, okay, you have to be X level to take on the Beholder. You have to be X level to take on the Cloud Giants. You have to be X level to, you know, to take on the Bulet. Um, and so, uh, you know, basically I've got those milestones where you have to be a certain level by, and so I'll write the story and then I'll add up all the XP that's in the story. And I give XP out for role-playing and killing monsters and, um, you know, and for the milestones themselves. And, um, so I'll add it up and like, if it comes out woefully short, I'm like, okay, I clearly need to write some more and add some more stuff. Cause you know, there's just these two points are way too close together or sometimes it comes out way over. I'm like, okay, I, I need to take a few things out. We've got a few too many things in between these two, uh, these two guys, you know, mileposts here. Okay. So, um, it says awkward dinner party. And I think that was the Baroness, right? No, that was you guys sitting down. And, oh, okay. and so we and, did that. So we did the competition after the battle on the street. I thought we yeah. did it before. And no, then. that was the fun part. Um, he, you, you got, uh, you went to the, the Baroness, the Baroness's calendar was full or the, mm-hmm. you, you thought it was a Baron at the time. And then you got sent off to the inn and then the, the monsters came out of the, right. the, the subway and started attacking. And so you, you all end up battling them. You were all exhausted. You went to bed. You got up the next day, met with a baroness, and then you had one more night uh, before you're taking off the next day to uh, be uh, the ambassadors over to Exculbarium Police. And at that point in time, you, you actually had your your awkward dinner party where you all got into your was you it know, sketchy backstories. Was it after, was after the sketchy backstories? Was it here that we ended up going in the sewers? That was when you got back from. Got back. The, okay, so we won't yeah. jump into that. Yeah. Um, but I see the back is the new, black is the new black. So I'm assuming that was our first contact with the dragon for Dungeons Snoot and the Dragon. dragon yes. Snoot, poetically uh, co- named by our very own and beloved Matthew. Yep. So, and and I decided a long time ago when we first started that, you know, this the there were going to be dungeons and dragons, and yeah. that you know because oftentimes dragons are like the penultimate bad guy that you meet or something you meet when you're you know. 15th level or something like that but I, I decided no i want to have dragons all the way through and you know thankfully this version of of the monster manual has you know everything from whelps all the way up to ancient dragons so there was like okay i can put it in here i can put it in here i can put it in here historically speaking for dungeons and dragons you know saying how dragons are penul- penultimately the bad guys which is a little unfair because or the good guys sometimes well no well, what i'm assuming that was actually on a play things so i've noticed is once you get to around level f- 13 15 there are creatures that you can go against for the higher levels, but there's not a storyline for why you would go there. Case in point, Orcus is probably Orcus and the um, the Lich whose name I'm or Vecna yeah. are probably two of the most well known baddies baddies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you follow like Critical Role, but you don't see people going after them because canonically there's not a reason to go after them once you beat their avatars they're mm-hmm. henchmen and then they're thwarted and okay so it is really unfortunate that i don't think a lot of people get to play epic level tier characters for very long because it's just not a support system for that type of game yeah um so i i did a one shot where the ultimate wasn't a dragon and ultimate was what i would call the dragon killer mm-hmm. and i brought in a tarasque because i think if you're gonna yeah. have something that scares yeah. a dragon it'd be a tarasque and it ended up being a very good game but I think that's one thing that I would hope that our listeners and eventually I should do it myself is just send a request to Wizards of the Coast saying, can you please write out some more epic level campaigns with a support structure to show us how to run something from levels 
15 to 20 that actually still engage you mm-hmm. as a player without making think that you're a mini god slaying slaughter to the lands. Yeah, and in back in the day, back in the uh, <laughs> days of the original basic set, um, it was it was very interesting because uh, TSR back then, who was the people that invented Dungeons and Dragons, they had actually had a, a two track product system because they had advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which was advanced from the original OD and D you know white box game. But then they also came out with a basic set. But the basic set then led into the expert set, mm-hmm. which then led into the, um, I forget, master set or something like that. But they, they actually had it broken up into like four level tiers. Um, and But the final set they had was basically all about adventuring at, you know, the, like to the, the 15th, the 20th level yeah. and above. And, and what, you know, what, how, you can, how you can accomplish adventures at that level. Yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, at that point, you're like, you're, a, and I think Matthew put it, you're like basically a five man raiding party. Like, you yep. are the entire army at that point, laying down the waste. But I think that, and I think it takes somebody with a little more tactical thinking than I possess and imagination to really come up with a campaign where you're playing it. And even at that level, you're like, are we going to survive this? Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a lot of one shots that I've, as a fan of Critical Role or other podcasts where they're playing those high level campaigns where, it's really the work of the dungeon master to make it feel like there is a threat to those characters because once you pass level nine and if you have a cleric in the party, then death really is not a problem. It's just a resource question. But anyway, um, getting back, we uh, meet Snoot the Dragon for the first time. A botched role, which is always the case, yep. leads us to meeting El Dragon. That was hilarious because we you were, decided you were going to go talk to the dragon. I only after Adri fell in front of it. Well, no, no, no. You, that, <laughs> that was the plan to begin with. Is like you, everyone was going to fan out to the sides just in case. Mm-hmm. And you were going to go in the center and walk out and talk to the dragon. Since you were a dragon, I had a, to talk dragon to dragon. Yeah. And which, which in my, my mind made sense, especially considering the time... I was Gurnval, and Gurnval had no idea who he was. Yeah. So dragon, dragon-like, yep. trying to find those roots, as it were. And anyways, um, obviously that was exactly the opposite of how you're supposed to handle this particular encounter, mm-hmm. um, at least in its conception. And so you guys all got in a position, and then Adri nat one her stealth check and fell into the clearing, mm-hmm. and it was game on. So that ba- And I remember you being disappointed because it's like totally short-circuited that whole thing. I, I would have thought it would have been cool to try yep. to talk to a dragon as well. Yeah. But and I but thinking back on it because I think we were a little. Well, you five. had several chances since then <laughs> to talk to a dragon. Yes, and, well, and yeah. actually, and even well, mate, I have, actually. and even mate with one. Yes, I did. <laughs> wow. Anyway, uh, you Romeo, you. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> Girls, the the chicks love the bronze skin, uh, and the scales and the teeth and the yep. breath weapon and the tail. <laughs> the tail. Um, I think we were level five, and and it may, may have been a wormling but a drag or a dragonling dragon wormling i forgot what they're called yeah, the wormling, wormling. Yeah. but that's still a, a considered at that that range a lethal encounter oh yeah it could it could easily take a group out um and you you uh it, it got kind of dicey there um with a like the breath weapon didn't hit hard but if it had you know you mm-hmm. could have been in real trouble um, i don't think i don't think yeah i don't think the monks had evasion i was not a very strong cleric the paladin still had the most oomph but mm-hmm. he was still I think there was still an issue there. And then, of course, um, Owen's character was, is really a great example of a, a, a basically a, literally an average person being stuck in that extraordinary and oh, having yes. to succeed. So he had a lot of hard times as a sorcerer at the early levels because usually they either saved or he missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So. Well, yeah, you get the cantrips, and that and one of the big troubles with cantrips is it's it's like you save and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. When you get you know spells, or you miss and nothing happens. Yeah, if you get spells, usually you know at least they take half damage, mm-hmm. unless you just like outright miss. But yeah, with cantrips, it's like there's a lot of it's like oh I missed. Well, that was my turn. Yep. Well, I find that I have that problem with uh, some classes anyway, but that's another story. So, but eventually, um, Adri lands the kill. The killing blow, oh, yeah. breaking the snoot. Although I don't think yeah. it's a killing blow because I think he escapes. Well, see, and that was the other fun thing. It's like, I wanted him to come back. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to go check the corpse. It's like, oh, no, you don't have time to do it. I have to get out of there. So I, I kind of had to shuttle yeah. you guys away before you could realize that it was still alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to come to at some point and then swear revenge on Adri. Right. And it took off. We raided its little nest and had a few magic items. Mm-hmm. That's where I got the dagger of warning. And I forgot. a hand axe and yeah. a couple other things. It, yeah. But it was, and everybody had those items. And I think some, some still have them. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really interesting. Um, but we remember looking at it, like, okay, that was odd <laughs> because the counter dragon that early in the game, uh, very happy to have survived it. And then thanks to that battle, that's what eventually led us into our next interesting storyline of meeting Mr. Robin Hood. Yes. Llewellyn. Um, Llewellyn. You know, a lot of your names are very, very close. Lowell, Llewellyn. Llewellyn. <laughs> I can say that with him. I didn't trust him right off the bat. Um, he yeah, was, none he, of you guys really did. I was, I was. There was a time there. I thought I had you guys hook, line, and sinker, and then at the last minute, you're like, eh, maybe you ought to check this out. Yeah, I well, and I mean, you, you, it was a very great character. Um, the the overjaw uh, for me, and speak, stri- speaking strictly for me, the over happiness of the character just put me instantly on alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess that's my jaded view on life. So. It was nice to see the other character, the people from our like, you know what, this is a little too cut and dry. And we did go do investigative roles. We did go and explore, and everything seemed to match what he was saying, which was excellent for you as a dungeon master because we didn't look very much beyond that. And even though well, I think you know, we they tried. always say the the best way to clothe a lie is to wrap it in the truth. Yes. Um, so we, you know, we end up going through there. We get in the fight. No one's killing everybody left and right. As a newly cleric, I'm like, okay, you're a little too murder hobo. I'm trying to save who I can save till we figure out what's going on. Adri picks up right away that this is not a bad person. This person's trying to just hopefully like they're going to survive this onslaught, which obviously she doesn't. And neither does it. And we get shuttled out the doors. Mm-hmm. This was another prime example of us having no clue still to this day, no clue what was happening in that city that caused all of that destruction. Well, uh, as you guys noticed with your investigation, clearly the truth part of the lie, the, the way it was wrapped in there was that, yes, in fact, the uh, Baroness was basically terrorizing her people. She had, you know, had an author- authoritarian governing style and it was, you know, the the my way or the highway. And, and the highway so, actually was, was the gallows. So, you know, they, she so, was executing that, people. That was her way of doing things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, that that's what, for me, I was cloudy on that, like, big time. Yeah. Like, was she really that bad of a person? Or was it all Lowen's story that just happened to be, you know, maybe they had hard times. But if she was really that bad of a person, then I don't feel quite so bad yeah. about how things played out. And and as I put in my Dungeon Master's notes, the the um, genesis of this, you know, the, the little spark for this one was basically all the South American juntas during the 1970s, most of which, unfortunately, were like propped up by United States CIA and things like that. Um, and you would get one group that would depose another group, and then they would end up being just as bad or if not worse. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, you, you had this uh, authoritarian ruler that um, we, you know, the, we didn't like. And so we would 
you know, sponsor whoever was going to put re- rebellion against them. And then they would get in and be just as bad, you know, and, and yeah. also be terrorizing people and taking them down to the, the national. Trying to get know, everything they can for their own pockets. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, yeah, you know, Llewellyn took a look at the situation you know, which was bad and realized not that he could make it better, but this, you know, as happens so many times, um, he realized, oh, this is an opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. I can come in as, as kind of the knight in shining armor and then, you Play know, get Mr. Rid- good guy and then rake it all. And, the, and then get rid of like the 12 people between me and the throne and take over. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about it enough, so I don't want to spend too much time on that. And then we end up outside the gate. So in looking back in my hindsight, what happens next is what sets the stage for the rest of the story. Everything else was just it felt like this is how we're going to bolster the party until we're ready to start the actual campaign. So by this point, mm-hmm. we're level five, maybe, maybe level six. Um, we're outside in the rain. We've gotten a couple other items to, you know, hush money type things. We're looking at each other like we really just messed up. And this was the first time in the campaign we had nowhere to go. We ha- I mean, we really didn't know the wizard in the tower yet. Mm-hmm. Corval had not established himself back in the in the dragonborn hierarchy still had no idea about Alistair. Oh, um, Arlen wasn't talking about anything and the farm was an option and Adri was an orphan basically. So yeah. as was no one. So we had nowhere to go, it, which was by design, right? You know, it, which it, is a great design. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't we, remember if you mentioned it or I, I he mentioned I, it, but I, I had, up comes yeah. the monastery. Yeah. I mentioned it to Bryce. It's like, Hey, you know, Alistair's monastery is, you know, if you, if you ride hard, you can be there by midnight. Mm-hmm. That's the closest place that you know, that could be helpful. Right. And that, which is a great thing. And the way that this came out, coupled with like a Lowell's tower had such a Diablo blizzard type effect to me. I, I really enjoyed the visceral ugliness of something that was a good and pure thing just turned into horror. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, this is where the story turns. I mean, a lot of times with stories, um, it starts out and you start dropping little hints. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. Something's not right. But then finally, you know, the evil clown in the sewers or yeah. the uh, axe murderer or whatever suddenly appears and you realize, okay, the game's on. Right. And so, yeah, that was, you got little hints that something was wrong. You know, you had the torque zombies, you had the torque trade itself. You had, you know, the coup on, you know, the uh, Baron. So, you know, everything's kind of going off kilter. And then you finally get to the monastery and, oh my gosh, the monastery has been taken over by undead. Game's on question about that real quick just to go back for half a second the torque storyline if we had in my opinion this is what it would take a rogue in the group was there a little another branch to explore the torque storyline i mean there always is but basically it was you know the the torque was being uh traded from and and police and the you know so the as as you guys found out as you're going through, Excolbarium Khalise is kind of the redheaded stepchild of all the barons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Waterfall City basically is the choke point for all the roads. A simple road tax is enough to pay, you know, handsomely for the operations of the city. Um, and then Porta Magnum has all of the trade; everything has to go through it, so it's fabulously wealthy. Um, the dwarves over in Faramons have the, you know, gold and the metal smithing. The uh, halflings over in Kaleskwe have all the farming and, and uh, they have the uh, the wine trade. And then you've got little Excalibarium Calise that's kind of sitting there. And yeah, it's the last dock site on the Mare. 
but that's just you know as things are as trade is falling off with the fogs causing all the problems with harvests and and uh livestock and all that uh all of a sudden it's you know its income is falling off and all of a sudden the baroness is is under pressure because you know they they're running out of funds and so she's doing whatever she can to bolster that including maybe some under the they don't yeah they don't have any trade or they don't have any they, they don't have anything to market yeah yeah, um, so, which is something that we'll have to come up with for poor Adrian in the future. Yeah, um, well, yeah, and and uh, they, you know, like I said, they're 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 the last duck um, on the Mare for the entire southern part of the uh, the Mare there. So they that's how they were able to make their money in the past, just through docking fees, right, and things like that. But then, as so often happens when when things start turning south, you know, people start working under the table and doing things that are a little shady. In this case turning a blind eye to the torque Ma- Moss trade. Isley. Yeah, being <laughs> torque trade being being sent back and forth. Right. So, yeah. So, well, at this time we have no idea what's really going on. We have a maybe maybe a barest of an idea because mm-hmm. now we're in the rain on our way to this monastery and we get there expecting at least a warm fire and a mm-hmm. dry straw bed, yeah. but instead we walk into a nightmare. Yeah. Um, everything's been sacrificed, torn apart, blood everywhere, yeah. body parts obviously nothing we i know at one point we're in a kitchen it's clear it hasn't been used in a while which means this has been this has happened a while ago and i think it's the first time if you look back on it that like you said the story starts up but also the indication of how rare uh alistair is about to become Mm -hmm. and how rare creval is about to become in their classes because just because we weren't there is the only reason why now for the various orders we're now to the higher ranking, if not the highest ranking person. Yeah, we have like the abbots and the various cathedrals and the main cities, but there's like five of those. Right. And they're mm-hmm. not going to go outside the city because they're the last ones left. So, yeah. And yeah. Even, even then, for, I mean, for journeymen, though, yeah, you guys were like some of the highest ranking journeymen yeah. there out there. And even now, looking at it now, even if we were to go back now, there's still not going to be a lot of fledglings. And even the abbots at this point would have to, and I'm just going to speak as, as Cotter's behalf. Cotter walks into the the uh, the church for whatever reason, and the abbot's going to bow to him. Yeah. So, but that's that's not here. Here, we come in, we take out uh, some shadows, we take out some skeletons. The scariest thing for me wasn't even the shadows. The scariest thing for me was the flaming skull mm-hmm. because I knew that that thing could cast fireball. Yeah. Which, it, which at that point was a nuclear of, weapon to us. Speaking of that, I realize I totally screwed up that encounter afterwards because fireball in its description says sets items on fire that are easily flammable which would have been a whole area including well, that, that the parlor monastery. was probably completely full well you remember the yeah. abbot's house was separate from the monastery building across the little courtyard so um it probably wouldn't have got the monastery on fire but the the yeah. abbot's house should have caught it, on fire it, it would have looked like tristam and call uh Diablo too, yeah, where it's yeah. all burnt and broken and there's masonry everywhere. Yeah, you're right. It would have looked like that. Well, and actually it would have been even more compelling because if you remember, the fireball leveled Arlen. So he was everything levels Arlen. He, he, Crickets yeah, level yeah, Arlen. Yeah. He, he, Sorry, he, Arlen. He, he was he was down and I that should have set the parlor on fire. And so that would have made it even more um, compelling because now you guys would have had to have gotten Arlen out of there before he burned to death while defeating the um, flame skull. And then the whole uh, building would have gone up in fire. Luckily, it's off in the corner by itself. But that, that's how that well, it was really also raining gone. still. So even yeah. if it had burned down, it wouldn't have burned all the way down because the rain would have yeah. eventually countered. But it would have been another. Right. It would have been another interesting visual during the fight. 
Yeah, especially and, and then smoke, and, making it hard to see. And, and, and then, yeah, having to get Arlen out of there before he starts taking damage and, and death saves. From and I, the other thing, it didn't, be, it didn't turn into what could have been a bad thing because I think by when we finally left there, we were racing back because you myself up, yeah. and no one at the time had mummy rot. Actually, which, Arlen. I assume Ireland, Alistair at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Alistair With, and Craval had it, money. Mummy the, rot. the two holy people you know, had mummy rot, which was really well, hilarious. Mummy, I mean, and this is a great example of using the the monster manual in a full capacity because there's there, it's easy to always want to go with the stage shows, but like things like mummies. And the little known creatures are, can be so dangerous to a party at low level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, M- you, you mummy really rot, have to think about it heavily. Yeah, when you're mummy those rot there. is a is a big is a big one, and we made it back. We had, but not by much. And then yeah. the problem was with the storyline. Obviously, is how many clerics can now get rid of mummy rot because lo and behold, they're trying to keep a secret of the fact yeah. that they're orders have been decimated yeah only the only the ones in the main cathedrals mm-hmm. in the big cities would possibly have yeah. uh, clerics capable of doing that anymore so we're able to get that cured but all of us are laughing having a time none of us are picking up the hint of wait what do you mean all the clerics are gone what do you mean all the paladins are gone yeah you know we haven't co- nobody has caught on to that fact yet. well you didn't have any information other than alistair's monastery got raided right so it wasn't actually until you got to Porta Magnum all the way to, you know, so several levels later um, that you, you get to Porta Magnum, and, you, and that, which is a much more cosmopolitan city that has representatives mm-hmm. of just about all the religions. And then you find out, oh, you didn't hear? All the monasteries got raided. Yeah. But and still, all, even then, we're like, oh, well, that's weird. Well, and, and, but again, I, mean, I think some of us had the same view Matt had at times. It was like, not our problem. Sucks to be them type thing. But again, that was our, our short-sightedness at the time. Um, at some point, and you have to remind me how it is, we were encouraged to go see the the wizard. crazy wizard. Yes. The mad, I don't want to say mad mage because that was something different, but the wizard. Yep. So yeah, you made it back to, to Waterfall City uh, running um, at tip-top speed. Uh, so that Mummy Rod didn't kill yeah, Alistair and I. And got that cured. And um, then you're asked to go into the sewers and find the uh, patrol that was missing and then and actually heard. found a shadow demon. And so th- once again, that was the first little signpost that, oh, this isn't just... Mm-hmm. undead we're actually talking like forces of the underworld that are here as well mm-hmm. so just kind of like the, another little little yeah. uh, signpost on on the what was coming and up but it was a signpost that we completely ignored yeah and um then yeah you you were uh the uh <laughs> the the page that was helping out the uh maitre d that was uh or the, you know the seneschal that was guiding you um at waterfall city mentioned the the mad mage in the tower and um or the kooky mage in the tower and and it was immediately dismissed by, you know as an idea by the uh by the uh seneschal but then the rest of you are like well maybe we should go see the uh, crazy kooky mage mm-hmm. you know i mean and i was kind of worried that i mean because you, you could have just totally blown it off it's like oh yeah he's a kook in the tower we don't need to talk to him but at the same time it's a kook in a tower and it potentially has magic and yeah one of the things and it's everyone's inner greed wizards like you know loot and magic items well if there's a potential magic user let's go talk to the magic user and it actually did give us one of our most useful items that is completely underplayed which is that bowl of scrying yes actually way too underplayed and and way too overplayed at the same time um there were so many times if you remember early on that you like tried to contact galchabar and he's at a party with the dwarves or you the bowl shows you nothing mm-hmm. um and so i was really treading a fine line between having it available to you at the same time Useful, not, not having you guys be a dependent on yeah. contacting galchbar every single time there was a question and it was kind of fun to see because you were talk- talking to him 
a lot to begin with. And then as you became, you know, higher and higher level, less and less as it should be. You didn't well, need that extra guidance. It's really interesting is that, you know, we have a really solid, strong party, but it's amazing to me, at least to me, I'm going to say this, that where we're weakest at, it really comes into play a lot. Like we don't have an intelligence based person mm-hmm. at the ta- character at the table. We don't have a charisma and by charisma, I mean charisma skill based character, like a bard. Yeah. Not having those two people or something that can represent some of those skills has yeah. hurt us. Like the bard and rogue could have been interchangeable or the wizard, actually a wizard or now an artificer would have been very, very crucial to certain things like identify like mm-hmm. history checks and things, but we don't have any of that. Yeah. So, which is interesting because basically we're hoping for the best a lot of times. Which which is kind of the way, I mean, it gives you that low magic feel though. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Um, after seeing The Wizard, I think we get our notes. Um, I was Mine was told I have to look to my past to see my future and everyone else got some little notes in their folders. Yeah, well, you, you found them in your backpacks. After seeing The Wizard though. Um, on, your, on your way... Um, in Dania's airship. Mm-hmm. So the question was, when did when did they get into your packs? Did did Galchabar put them in? Did Dania put them in when you're sleeping? Um, I kind of thought it was Galchabar, and I, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really explore it because again, it would have been like one of those things. Like we're still very new. We're not going to be like, hey, the weird things. This no one's going to yeah. play up the weird category list. I always thought it was something like a wizard spell, like message or something like that, or something. You know, mm-hmm. And there it was. He used a familiar to put paste scraps yeah. of paper that would be invisible, or mage hand, or something. Yeah. Something, yeah. yeah. While we were doing other stuff, um, it's not here. You don't have it here as a um, highlight item, but I want to go to the Oracle of Umbra Concordia because mm-hmm. of in our entire recording, for me personally, two of your most masterful strokes. The first one was the prophecy, the poem, mm-hmm. followed by the book of Aloha's assistant. Those two things have in my opinion, were probably the two greatest gems that you've put into this game in terms of story richness. Um, and I would encourage our listeners, if he hasn't done so, to bug him until he puts it up where you can read it because in it, even though it's kind of simplistic, it just really draws you in. Both of them do. Actually, and both of those are on the website. Well, I would highly recommend yeah. it. Just as an example of what you can give to your party. Mm-hmm. In this case of the poem, it was just like a prophecy should be. Um, it... When you after you're done doing it, you're like, oh, so that's what all those lines meant. But at the same time, you're like, when you're not there, you're like, what in the bleep bleep does this mean? (laughs) And there was just enough there to make us see, oh yeah, well, this is clearly referencing possibly a dragon, or this is clearly referencing going back out that direction. But there was enough there, you're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) So uh, again, very much. What gave you that idea? Uh, How did you write that? So actually, I I probably wrote that poem like four or five times because you know you, I'm, I'm surprised it's that few to be honest you're going through it and um you're trying it's like okay well you don't want it to be too easy where it's like oh this is this and this is this and this and this and this and this okay good let's book our tickets let's go mm-hmm. um, at the same time you don't want to be so difficult that you know there's no way to figure it out and every single time the party goes to the next step and the next step and the next step they have to go back to the library in in uh, port of magnum and do an entire skills check trying to research this again mm-hmm. um, so you kind of had to find that middle ground um, but uh, you know in and, and you know that's kind of how the or, you know, Oracle should be, you know, they would, they would give you something. And, and actually like the Oracle of Delphi uh, was famous for that. I mean, they would, 
the Oracle's uh, prophecy would be very obscure and, and very obfuscated. And, and, you know, like for instance, I, I think the Oracle gave one of the Greek leaders a prophecy that, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was, he was asking if he should uh, go and attack his neighbor or something like that. And the Oracle says, if you attack the neighbor, you will successfully um, destroy a kingdom. And then he lost because the neighbor came back and destroyed his kingdom. Yeah. So yeah, he, I mean, it you, can go both ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, know, you didn't want it to be too easy to want it to be too hard and you didn't want it to be too clear. You want right. to make it something where you, you're going to have to explore the poem as you go along. Yeah. And so we get that. Um, we're not sure where we're going to go just yet. We, you know, we lose the, the Danya and the Aquilius Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> I can't the mini any Aquila. That one. Yep. <laughs> Good luck. I ain't speaking Latin. The, the, the thousand year eagle. Um, we managed to make it across the desert with some cleric spells and some uh, roughly hewn shoes. And we finally get to see the first of the character stories, mm-hmm. Arlen and his family. Um, well, Arlen, was, Arlen's um, nemesis or his foil, the uh, the mad mage of the Mare. Yeah. That, I thought we got to see them first and then we found the mad No, mage. you didn't get to see Arlen's family until you went back to Lowford okay, and then so, you took a side trip. And I, will, yeah. and I stand corrected. But yes, we, we find his nemesis the man in the tiger mask yeah which when i think about it now we never actually took off that tiger mask you never did yeah so it's yeah. kind of interesting so you know arlen turns Bates white we realize something's going on so we immediately go in to see what's going on um and in comes the one of the top two funnest moments of our campaign is the battle in the basement with the wild magic juice floating in the air in gaseous form yes every action causes a roll on the wild uh, magic, magic table, table. Which is a brilliant way of doing that because otherwise no one ever rolls on a on a. Yeah, the only, and, the only thing I've ever and, found and that does what, that was yeah. down in the Underdark during the uh, campaign I ran for Out of the Abyss. Okay, so I've never seen that other than that. Yeah, and um, and basically we, you know, like you said, you, you guys are like fifth level, sixth level at this point. Something in time. like that, yeah. Yeah, or actually probably about fourth at this point. And wild magic, as described in the player's handbook, is absolutely infuriating because what it says is that. Basically, it goes off when your dungeon master tells you it does. Um, no, that's um, the wild magic no, surge. Yeah. No. Yeah. What? What is it? That, it is something's up. You oh, tides is tide. up. Yeah. When tides and yeah. chaos is up, and he uses tides to give yeah. himself advantage. That's when yeah. you can do that. Otherwise, it's whenever they roll a natural one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the way I read it was that's why I thought it was furious. Like, so basically, as long as he casts spells that don't require an attack roll, he's good. I think it means, I think when I look back now, how I would enforce it is if you're casting a spell using a spell slot, roll a d20 on a one wild magic occurs. Yeah. And, um, then yeah and so we actually started doing that sort of thing and then we with tides we basically said okay if you get a nat 20 then tides goes off mm-hmm. so you know, wild because ma- you know we were originally going to be like okay well if you roll a nat one tides goes off wait a minute wild magic surge goes off if you roll a one we can't have them both go off so there was like one and 20 and then we're like you know the uh, so many times tides went off when arlen went to sleep mm-hmm. And which uh, made sense because yeah. then you're, that's when your concentration wanes the most. Yeah. And you're it, out. yeah, exactly. And, um, but the, you know, the, the guidance in the player's handbook where, where it says the dungeon master tells you when it goes off, it's like, well, that's a little too capricious. And, you know, it's like now the dungeon master's like, Oh, tee hee, look, you know, this would be the worst possible time for this to go off and it's going to go off. It's like that it gets to be too arbitrary. So, so we decided to make a hard and fast rule. And, and if you remember, it changed about three times in the, yeah. the first six levels. And we finally decided, yeah, nat one, wild magic surge happens. Nat 20, tides goes off. 
Um, anyways, but even then it's like, okay, it's just not happening really often. So then I hit about the idea, what if, you know, this is Ireland's backstory. This guy's, you know, collecting the chaos left over after the great major wars. What if the wild magic just happens all the time in this guy's house? And mm-hmm. so that was the, the genesis of that. And it idea. was, it was good. It was a great experience yeah, for, everyone for all of us that never had to deal with chaotic magic. Um, God bless Owen for making a, uh, I forget what they're called, the, the type of sorcerer's called. Wild, Wild Magic Sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I know when I play sorcerers, I usually go the draconic route because mm-hmm. I just think it's easier and I don't have to worry about it. But because he did what he did, the ability to bend luck has been... Oh, huge. 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 I mean, how many times has that saved people's lives? Oh, even? yeah. I mean, it's, it's, easy. it's again, one more thing that's easily overlooked. He may not hit very hard, but there's been more than a few times where I'm going to... Add three to that. Oh, I succeeded. Yeah, you know? and, and actually there's... Or one... take two away. I failed. Yeah, well, there's one time um, that, you know, when when if we jump forward to the first phylactery run and you guys were at the Clouded Oasis and you were taking on uh, the undead and they had that necrotic aura and Cotter went down and I was... I, you know, behind the screen, I was panicking because I'm like, okay, there are still two of the undead up. The next round, when Cotter has to roll, he's going to take two necrotic hits. Which he's is going to kill him. going to immediately take two death saves against. If he rolls badly, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you remember, Cotter was the one that had the get-out-of-jail-free card. So he was just going to be dead-dead. And then also, that was your get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm-hmm. So that meant that that was off the table for the rest of the, the thing, unless you got him resurrected. And so I was like panicking because, I mean, a whole bunch of story devices just went out the window if that was the case. And then, you know, Owen says, well, I'm going to do Ben Luck. And, and he rolled well enough to Ben Luck. I'm like, ooh, whew, dodge yeah. that one. Man, there you go. Chaos. Yep. So we deal with the Mad Mage. He disappears, we think. Um, we escape the, the blue powder. Eventually it wears off and we're no longer casting chaos magic just by walking down the street. We learn, we... Uh, it says don't split the party. I don't remember what we did that we split the party. So that the was the time. that was the name of the episode. And if you remember, that was the Wantai village. Was that the Wantai village yeah. at that point? So we went straight from the Mad Mage into the Wantai village? Yeah. And um, well, you did take a one quick little detour because in at the Mad Mage's um, uh, shack, you picked up Aina, the, the little girl that had also been in. Uh, oh, know, I forgot the about chaos. the little girl. And that one. The entire idea was, as I pointed out before, Orlana was who Aina was supposed to be. Um, and the whole idea behind her was she was basically supposed to be encumbering luggage. So you guys were supposed to go from um, oasis to oasis down to the capital city, face all the things at the capital city, have to get to the nearest city to drop her off. Meanwhile, trying to keep a six-year-old from getting killed by all these bad things. And it was going to be a, just a huge inconvenience for you. What happened with her? Um, and, well, as as I put in my Dungeon Master's notes, I made two mistakes there. One of them, Aina was too young. Um, so she really wasn't a companion to go with the party. So you were going to shuttle her off as soon as possible. And then, two, I made it too easy for you to get out of the mare. So you guys immediately said, oh, well... If we just go that away for a full day, um, we've got enough supplies to do it. We'll end up getting out of the mare, and so you basically just took a left turn and went to the nearest shore of the mare and got her back to her family farm. Okay, totally forgot about that. Um, that leads us further now, going to the entire the bridge on the yep. troubled water and the audience with the queen. Most significant thing that happened here was once finding creatures that were similar but not quite dragonborn, mm-hmm. and then of course 
that's where eventually it started getting obvious more and more, at least to me, that there was something going on with a member of our party. Um, we've gone over that enough with Adrienne, her secret. This is where you planned to do that? Yes. So as, as I said, when, when you guys handed me your backstories, I basically wrote up where each of those backstories was going to come to the fore and put the, you know, basically put those into the thing. So, um, this, and this is one of those times where everybody's decisions and roles just lined up perfectly because basically as you were going across the bridge, the, um, log was going to roll mm-hmm. and Adria was going to get pitched into the water and her makeup was going to wash off after the bat- battle of the giant crocodile. And, um, then we get there and you guys are like, let's have our sneaky monk go across the bridge first all by herself. And I'm like, well, there we go. That makes it really easy. Because like if the rest of you had gone, it's like... Well, the young TIE fight wasn't easy. Um, well, that actually... It was one of the more yeah, brutal ones. Yeah, had. actually, if we drop back, um, that was, you know, the um, that was before... That was the, the whole um, episode before you guys ran into uh, the uh, Adri's backstory. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, that... Uh, well, and you guys had made it. That's why it was called Don't Split the Party. Because if you remember, you sent yeah. the monks to one side of the building and the rest of you to the other side of the building. And then there was, there was, it then, was all, it was a whole thing. Yeah. The, the, the vast bulk of the bad guys all uh, came out on the side where the monks were. And all, all of a sudden they had no healers and um, were getting their butts kicked and had to retreat back to you. And, mm-hmm. and no one got leveled and you had to, you know, uh, you know, heal them up so you could get back in the fight. And, you know, it was just uh, one of those those classic examples of yeah. This is why you don't split the party. Yeah, I don't think we've had any too many combats where we where we were like maybe this last one. Now that we're way high level, mm-hmm. that we've been in a combat where where it was like okay, we're safe. I think every combat we've gone against, the threat of going down and staying down has been high. Yeah. So, so we end up successfully getting through there. We find the first clue of this horrid story that is playing out with us being the unwitting pawns of it. Mm-hmm. Um. A window becomes our greatest nemesis. <laughs> and that's just one of those great things yeah. about a role-playing game. But I mean, you couldn't write that up no. the way it worked out. And just the way the dice fell on the table, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was really hilarious because you guys boost you, the squishy in the, the fun, window. The, well, the funny thing is because the other way in you totally would tell in a, in a Dungeon Master note was this under, underwater passage, which we would we swamped her and would have been there. Yeah. But you made the water seem so suspicious that none of us were going to get in it. Yeah. So we go through the window. Well, I wanted to make it as icky as possible. So you oh, have you did so it. many, so many yeah. um, reservations about going in there that when you did and you're swimming underneath the water and it's under the ground mm-hmm. and you could drown under here, the, that whole thing would be in the back of your yeah. mind. Unfortunately, I did too good a job. Exactly. So, yeah. so we have another combat. Um, our own ineptness was our worst enemy, but we get through that and we find the first clue of the storyline and the magic circle with the time locked queen in it. Yep. Yeah. Where'd that come from? You know, I don't even know. Just it was an um, just a lot. A lot of these are like little images that I thought up at one point and like put in my mental Rolodex to you know put in a game at some point. And it was just the the, the neat thing about you know this this uh, time lock queen that had been waiting for a thousand years uh, for someone to come so she could give them the the uh, really crucial piece of information. That's so hard. Ten thousand years of sunset rises and sunsets. You're just locked in place and, and just sitting there. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 she said so much. And when you're, it's like a long time ago. My every moment has been weariness. And you know, please break the circle. Mm-hmm. And and actually, my biggest fear there was you. You guys go. Um, no, we're we're leaving. <laughs> I don't think that wasn't really. A, I don't think. 
Captain Good yeah. would have let that happen. But uh, but it could have. So yeah, it was it was uh, yeah. It was just and plus you know once again this links back to this older world um, that was ruined so long ago and it's sort sort of that Tolkien feel where the, you know there's an older world where you know some great civilization had been and and now you're you're now in the middle years yeah. after that's happened. So we we get through there. We escape the untie. I think we go around them this time. We're not going to risk another combat because we're all and that was pretty kind of, poorly tapped at this point. Yeah, you you guys went up and over and and that was uh, the one thing that was kind of. Um, unhappy with and well not unhappy just you know so they had as you were going up and over the bridge sneaking 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 um another group comes out and then they dump this woman into uh, like this basin or bathtub sort of you know Mm -hmm. shaped thing and then it's just filled with snakes and you can see the snakes just jumping up and down and, and obviously coming to to bite her and Every, the whole group of you went, nope, we're out of here. Well, and, then, <laughs> and, and our thought process yeah. on that was, is that, I mean, we would love to have been the heroes, but we were tapped. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were. Yeah, it, was, it was a proper choice to make. And it was, it, in some ways, whether it was intentional or not, it was a lesson of we can't save everybody. Yeah. And, and it was well, probably the first hard decision yeah. we had. And, and it's kind of good that you didn't do that uh, because basically um, what they were doing was making one of the high level wontai. Yeah. And so this this was uh, you know the, one of the low level Wantai you know and that, that just almost killed us had ju- just had you know just the the snake eyes and the mm-hmm. snake tongue but to get the ones that are half snake body and half yeah. you know Something humanoid else. this was the the ritual that had happened yeah and so if you had gone back and 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 fought them then this other you know this newly formed Wantai would have come up out of the uh, the basin to to attack you so it was good that you didn't do that so. Yeah, we do that. We run along, and that gets us uh, into yet another fearful situation where we see yet another shack. Yes, <laughs> following the coastline. Um, this leads us to our first more not our first because technically that person we saw in the pit or the uh, vat of snakes would have been the first, but this led to one of the first things that um, pitted Jesse versus me, I think, and then also created a situation of what morally should we do here mm-hmm. which is the fishing shack and the damsel in distress um i think that led to more arguments at the table than anything we've done because there was morally what do you do here yeah and and that was the whole purpose of that particular one is like you have someone asking for help but are they really need help or are they really just this crazy person yeah so the uh the woman ended up being correct we end up mm-hmm. uh finding out that she was indeed a silky we end up doing the rolls and with the magic weapons get her skin we're not mm-hmm. sure what's going to happen and you played it as she grabs it and bolts yep and we it seems like that's such a simple thing but it really wasn't because first to get to that point no one did like the first like real human thing which was just listen um adri took point on this whole thing and she was very, I say Adrian, but Jesse, she was very adamant at the time about, about how things were going to run. And I can't, I don't have all the details because it was a while back, but mm-hmm. I just remember her being like, no, we're going to do this. No, we're going to do this. I'm not okay with this. No. And I mean, it was a really rough time at the table trying to, how to navigate this situation. Did you really, did you think that was going to occur when you made up this little side story? 100%. You 100%? 100. Now the fun thing was you didn't necessarily have to go this direction. You could have bolted directly east, crossed some more of the canals, mm-hmm. and then met up with the uh, old um, uh, high road coming down from the other side, from down from Kolesque. Um, But instead, you went out to the coast, and I had this little MacGuffin right here on the coast, um, and in for a couple of reasons. One was, um, you know, just 
an extra encounter to mm-hmm. hit along the way. But then another part of it was uh, then you would have this person with a fishing boat that would then be able to get you to Anturis if you know, and, and, it, and obviously if you didn't um, hit them going out, you'd, you know, hit them yeah. coming back as, as you're looking for a we possible were gonna way hit to, them regardless. Yeah, to get there. But you just happened to, to do it. But, but um, you know, th- this, this is where the dungeon master kind of knowing your players mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of knowing what their triggers are. Um, I'm like, yeah, Jesse's just going to totally go for this. This is this is right up her her alley. This is yeah. this is the kind of thing that that would would totally uh, pull in our heartstrings. I don't remember. I don't remember what the final thought on that was when we left after you know she jumped in the ocean, disappears. The children mm-hmm. are crying, and we're like, oh, okay, time to go. Um, I just know that it was like one of those instances. Like, wow, this has been um, this was really a stressful thing, emotionally yeah. stressful. And 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 if you remember um, when I was talking about the, the first half of this whole adventure everything you guys did was going to go wrong and it did and uh, yeah so th- this was one of the one of the main things like okay yeah you saved the person but now you got orphans you know mm-hmm. um you know you, you did half this orphans yeah half orphans yeah you, you did this and you know so basically everything you did was going to go wrong is going to have a bad outcome in some way you know you're going to help take out the the baroness oh oops it turns out the the new baron is worse than than she was mm-hmm. um so and, you know, it wasn't until you started turning things around that things would start going the right direction so we managed to navigate that without, well, one, killing it. Because I think mm-hmm. that was actually on the table there for a little while. Um, well, with, with no one in the early days, yeah, every, killing him. It was, death. Every, it was life, was, death. There yeah. was black, white. That was about yeah, it. Yeah, they, 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 you know, so he was totally, totally willing to, to use lethal force in any situation, whether it required it or not. Right. So we leave there, and I'm not sure how we do it, but eventually we end up getting a righteous elvish welcome and getting into the land of the elves, yeah. which at this point, the elves had been gone from your world for a thousand years. Yes. They were they as, just started to come back. I mean, and it was, it's such a rarity to even have half elf blood. That's why then there's nobility, but they're all half elves, mm-hmm. which is a great way of explaining that in my estimation or a high elf, I guess would be the other way of saying it. So we go there, we meet the elves and they have more of a history for us because yeah. we had again, and, but as <laughs> no we, character that does history. <laughs> yeah. As, as we mentioned uh, um, before though, this is where you run into Arlana. Yes. You pick her up about halfway and then she is you able know, to I be the encumbering do baggage. I remember where we got Orlana. So you, as you were heading north in the still the ruined part of the high road, all of a sudden you hear screams in the woods. You go that running over there and she's, she's stuck in the quicksand, which was really hilarious because there was a couple of times they were able to um, get you as as uh, Craval stuck in the quicksand with, mm-hmm. with Orlana, which was a hilarious. A panicking human that just could not keep her st- stuff together yeah and 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 like i said with aina the entire idea was that she was supposed to be encumbering baggage Mm -hmm. that would you know basically get in the way and you know basically just be you know a constant annoyance for you the whole time but then also as it went along i realized that she had a much more important feature was that she could be the dungeon master's voice in the party yeah and you know having a, a traveling npc or a dungeon master pc or something like that that goes along with the party um is just so invaluable that you know it's like hey here's this thing you're all completely ignoring over here even though i've dropped 16 hints how about that you know uh, or things like that or you know also morally it's like is that really okay for us to do and you know just you know you know have the dungeon master be able to have a voice in the party and 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 put these little things in there when you know more information is required you now have a person in the party that can do that and orlana yeah. was able to do that for me which was fantastic so it was great when she was there it was you know kind of heartbreaking when she had to leave but at the same time story-wise that was a really good because, time for her to leave i mean it was a great character and a great character development for alwyn but i don't think anybody else at the table 
I mean, not, not even our, our paladin was like really unhappy to see her finally go. I think, I think, uh, Jesse was, I think in our interview, uh, when, when we did interview, she, she also was kind of sad to see her go. Uh, but yeah, I think that, well, certainly for you and for, for no one, it was, it was just, you know, thank goodness we're done with that. Well, I, I know for like, because by this point I was, I think by this point I was Creval. Mm-hmm. Um, not real, uh, maybe not, no, you, not you, quite you Creval, you but Creval, you Creval yeah. the, uh, the concept of Creval between our private text mm-hmm. and whatnot was beginning to come to the forefront of my mind, yeah. therefore the character's mind. So he was reacting, he was acting more and more brutal i'll say yeah. not not in a violent sense but his, his line of thinking was very cut and dry and brutal about it's survival stri- of the fittest exactly. in the mountains yeah um the, you know the 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 strong survival the weak and perish yeah. and i think that was a big deal um obviously it came out during the elvish welcome but nothing could prepare us for going into evolve's tower um not not only the pure torturous descriptions you put out the lakes of blood the tortured bodies mm-hmm. The illusioned, I don't know what to call it, a maze? Yes, the maze yeah, arcana, yeah. Was amazing. Um, and that was just one of those things that you just, you know, popped up. It's like, okay, I want a maze. And I then, don't think anyone will ever forget that that, but, that, that played that at the table. Yeah, but then as, you know, and I actually thought about drawing out a maze. Because, um, you know, in, in uh, Caves of Chaos, the, the uh, first um, um, module that was in the basic set, and then mm-hmm. they reawakened for the, the uh, D&D Next playtest, there's a maze of caves. And it's a lot of fun to do, but as, as I'm going over the concept of this and, and drawing it up, I'm like, a maze would be the most boring thing we could possibly put on a podcast, yeah. you know. Unless you can do the Greek thing, and even then, a Minotaur maze is kind of trope. Yeah, and uh, but but it, just the whole concept of going through maze. Okay, you get to a corner, mm-hmm. it goes to the right. There's a T intersection. I you, hate I hate that when I have yeah. to do that to my party and, because they're exploring a dungeon. Yeah, and and it's it's not too bad when you're at the party uh, at the table and you've got a map and you're like drawing it down and like okay, we're figuring this maze out. If you're on a podcast listening to it, like this is the most boring stuff. In fact, um, when when you were exploring the sewers uh, back at Waterfall City, it's like I tried to make it as painless as possible because you know let's minimize the amount of if you go 100 feet, there's a left turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but a maze would have been like that, and it's like I'm like okay, I got to do something that's not that. I think what I think it's interesting to to note that too. And I would I would advise future dungeon masters who might think that's a great idea when you're doing it at the table, even if you have people at the table or you have someone over the phone via Skype or something, mm-hmm. forget the hundred feet, 200 feet, 80 feet, leave the measurements out of it and just be descriptive. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as you see two torches that lead toward a darkened turn to, to the right mm-hmm. ahead of you. Well, how far is it? Well, if you really think about it, in darkened areas, you're not sure how far anything is. You're just going off lamp light enough. Yeah. You eventually got to a turn. You're, you're not setting up an engineer here. You're setting up a situation where it's dark. Distance has no meaning. Time has no meaning. It's just you and the environment, which I think you did a very well job on that. On. Yeah. Anyway, so I with, with, done with the maze well. arcana, I was like, okay, what can I do that's a maze but not? And then I thought, well, what if there's like just corridors but then only corridors and doors. one or two people can go down that corridor and then everyone's stuck it really to me seemed like you were playing the shell game after a while to a degree yeah yeah, yeah. so that that was a again that was a very expert way of doing that yeah. and it definitely heightened up our frustration so then we finally did end up in the arena and we did the uh, battle royal yeah. and finally we were charging a low the arena of turn, pain yeah yeah 
got out of that, I mean, and then lo and behold, we're at the bottom of this tower being woken up by the wizard or the elves, and we're like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> so still to this day, it's hard. I mean, this character that you've created in Aloha has is just such a great mind scrambler. And, and that's, illusionist. that's also something that uh, I kind of want to, it was, it was a mental exploration on my part. It's like, cause if you remember like back in the day, the illusionist was like, why do we even need an illusionist? It's like a less powerful um, wizard. Why would we want a less powerful wizard? And um, then, but it's like, it's not until you really start thinking about what an illusionist can do where, you know, it's like, okay, you know, you, you can go and put obstacles in front of people that aren't there and it's only in their mind. So they're like going and, and uh, going around things that aren't there and into the spiked pit and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's like you have to start thinking about the more elaborate things you can do with illusions, like create an entire I, maze I, I and things see, like that. Yeah, I can see clearly yeah. that if you have the resources to have like those uh, Hero Forge tiles and all mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. where suddenly a wall slams down and then this opens up and you drop it. Now you're here and everyone's just getting frantic, frantic, frantic. And all of a sudden, again, poof. Nope, you're right here. Yeah. You never left the room. Yeah. And, and then it's like, okay, is, you know, is what is happening to us the real thing or is it the illusion or is it the illusion making us think that it's an illusion, but this is the real thing happening. Yeah. So yeah. So, so when you start, so that the illusion is really the power lies in the fact that can totally mess with your sense of reality and, and make you make the wrong decisions. Which he would later do to us in the clouded oasis yeah. with the boulder, a mm-hmm. very uh, Indiana Jones moment, yeah. but well, and none of that, us were going to, th- we're going to, fight that yeah <laughs> it's time to run and and actually the the genesis from that one was um i was listening to a guy talk about his very first tpk mm-hmm. and it, it was the uh we're in, in a uh, no illusionist's um citadel and like everything was an illusion and then they get up to like the top of this thing and the illusionist you know pulls a lever and this giant boulder falls out of the ceiling starts rolling towards the party and the party's like okay another illusion we disbelieve wham yeah. <laughs> it rolls over them and tpk's the but whole that, group and that would be another good way of i mean if he didn't want to do the tpk where he just it's a very low difficulty mm-hmm. everybody he knowing everyone's going to succeed but take half damage but the now very real boulder is trapping the only way they knew to get out yeah and it's too big to get rid of because they don't have the power to actually disintegrate it yeah so now they're forced to go through the illusion maze um we get through that we have a really wonderful moment with the Moon Festival. Um, I highly, re- I highly, highly recommend to any of our listeners to go back and re-listen. Yeah, to the that Moon one Festival. was a lot more touching and interesting than I thought it was going to yeah. be. Um, I, I went back and listened to every yeah. single person's. Yeah, and um, it, it so the the uh, Moon Festival Genesis was actually an episode of the sci-fi series Babylon Five, mm-hmm. where they there's some alien race that you know they they claim part of the station as their territory, and it turns out that in this festival or this event that happens people that are dead come to talk to you yeah and in fact actually one of the ambassadors that's on babylon 5 goes and sleeps like on the bridge so he's not in this area and he afterwards he's he regrets it he's like what you know imagine what i could have experienced if i'd been there but you know each of the each of the characters in 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 the uh, series you know that was in this section that was affected met somebody that had had died and they got a chance to talk to him 
And so well, I don't think Arlen didn't have that though. Arlen actually just got Galchabar, right? Exactly. And so I, so I that kind of made me that's like what I was saying. So that was that was the genesis. And but I basically decided that okay, it could be anybody. It could be someone dead. It could be somebody um, currently alive. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and so like in in Kaval's case, he mm-hmm. he met his dead uh, friend that yeah, had rescued him. Gillen, I think I called him. And uh, but then like, um, but Cotter it, met his brother yeah. and. In that way, we kind of indicated what was coming next. It was mm-hmm. a foreshadowing for the next part of the adventure where the Cotter, Cotter's brother tells him that he's sick. Yeah. So Cotter's brother yeah. sick. So we go back there. Yeah. Adri, you see how brutal Adri's upbringing really was, which was interesting. Your heart broke for no one. It really did. Yeah. And then, you know, Cabal was just me was just me venting how confused I was about the character. Yeah, I was so, but that was that was nice foreshadowing for what was going to come in Cabal's yes. arc upcoming, yeah. which was almost parallel with Cotter's. So yeah, so we we get through the moon festival, oh, and then of course uh, Galchabar smacks um, yeah Arlen up the back of the head because you but guys you, you know what got the that name such of the a, bad guy. That's, that's such a precious moment. Because, yes. Again, this goes back. Arlen's a sorcerer. He's not a thinking cleric. Yeah. He's not a thinking caster. He's not an intelligent mm-hmm. caster. And Owen. Is literally if if Ar- if if Arlen had human form, it would be Owen. Owen's yeah. Owen is smarter in real life than Arlen is, but I think if you put literally Owen in the same thing, give him all the same stuff, he wouldn't have thought to use the bowl either. None which, of us did, which was hilarious because I mean that was the whole express purpose yeah. for having the bowl. It's like you know I'm giving you this bowl because all you need to do is get the name of your foe and then you can find him, and you get the name of the foe and I'm like okay here it comes. No, nope. nothing. No, nope. okay. How about next episode? Never, nope. never, nope. never next ever nope. underestimate the players. Next ability to now? screw up the story. Yeah, it was hilarious because yeah. yeah, I mean, you went to the fishing shack, you went to Orlana, you went to the Elvish, you you know had an overnight, you um, went to um, to uh, Lowell's tower, and you're like, you guys have the name, you could use the bowl. Yeah, it was so hilarious. We end up leaving there after finally doing that, and that's kind of clued us into some of the places these fake phylacteries could be because mm-hmm. finally did that finally happens. Um, Sitting on the dock of the mare, I don't really remember that one. So is that, that where Cotter or yeah, that's that was, where Alistair Cotter yeah. occurs. Uh, well, actually, yeah. Um, so that was um, you guys made it to Kalesque, mm-hmm. and then you run into Dania again, right? But then also the the first crack in in Alistair's armor shows up as mm-hmm. all of a sudden he He's uh, Kent, Kent shows up, yeah. and and that was great because poor uh, Kent, well poor poor Bryce. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know I jumped that on him. And you yeah. could just see him panicking. It was great. It wasn't even just the panicking, yeah. but man, when he didn't agree with you on something, he fights you tooth and nails. I don't mm-hmm. know if it comes through in the recordings, but there's a lot like when he had to deal with Adrian. And in this case here, he just fights tooth and nail about oh, yeah. not having to go through anything, but drag him, kicking him, screaming. Yeah, it was great. Um, and and, and the best up, part was when he tried to play it off and, you know, Kent accepted it. But then, you know, there's this pregnant silence afterwards. And you just said, you are the, the worst, worst liar guy. ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was great. It's also where I uh, created the first Snow Owl. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. was a actual familiar. And I inadvertently learned that Jesse has a real fear of owls, which was not an intention when we created that. Yeah. Um, it's a fun things you discover at the table. But it helps. Uh, but the, the well, the idea of the familiar did actually help us out in a little way, which led us to the Clouded Oasis because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, we didn't know what to do here. So I just sent the owl down as a, as a fun thing to go get a fish. And, and he realized, just plunges <laughs> right through the illusion yeah. of the fountain. And keeping in mind that we had just done the illusion tower, and none of us thought that what we're looking at could possibly be an illusion. Yes, but can but there's a but. Well, it was a master illusion. Look, it's it, well, it's easy to look back and and, and chastise ourselves for that. Mm-hmm. But again, master illusions, and there is a lot that happened between these significant moments that blurs your concentration. And mm-hmm. you know, there's weeks where we didn't record. Yep. 
So we get the Cloud Oasis. Um, we get a hint at Adri's future backstory when we find the entrance. It says, you know, abandon all hope, ye who enter here, which is the area of the Dark Elves. Yeah. Which you quickly let Adrian know basically you're you not ready not for want this. to go down here right, well so. and, and, and it wasn't even that i mean obviously from from the dungeon masters behind the screen yeah you go down there you're gonna die but from adri's point of view it's like this is the one last place in the whole wide world i want to yeah. go i just fled from here yeah. i don't want to go back here and thankfully for whatever reason everybody at the table when she's like we're not going that way yeah. we all just listen to her yeah we didn't fight her. We're like, why not, man? There might be stuff down there. But no, we just listened. And and actually, once again, that's one of those little dungeon master nightmares. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, what if they don't go along with her and they decide, I'm going to have to design up a whole thing down there. So, yeah. So what, then that leads us to, it's probably the number one most often said this was the best combat we had, which was the shadow darkened. The obsidian wall. wall. Yeah. yeah. With the evil us with the mustaches. Yes. Where did that come from? Um, so... Actually, well, the, the and was ma- that an illusion? No, that was uh, that was actual magic there. Um, but um, the, the there's been a lot of things where people, you know, see a bad thing in the in the mirror. Whether it's like the bad guy coming up behind you, but you turn around, he's not there. But then he comes up behind you, and then he's not there. Um, it's like and um, it's like so. What I was thinking is like, what if that bad guy? then stepped out of the mirror, which, mm-hmm. which is something that you've seen in, in various, you know, you know, things before. And it's like the, the thing that was the big trip for me was that I was going to control all the baddies uh, attacking you. And I, I was thinking about it. I mean, even right, like right up to the day we did it, I'm like, this is going to be a nightmare for me to try to keep track of all your abilities. And then it just like the day of it occurred to me, wait a minute. Why would I control all of your baddies? You're the ones who know the best how your character works. So. What what could have been interesting, and I'm just now thinking this, and I don't know how you would have put it in. It's probably a good thing you didn't. Is if given some something else, so magical like magical darkness, for example, mm-hmm. obscuring vision. So you start killing off these medical bat. You know, the people start dying, and when you're done, the party remains. But there's still the note that something that nobody really thinks about is because if you hadn't given them the mustaches, mm-hmm. did you did the bad guy die or is there now a new Craval yeah. who's now a lawful evil or chaotic evil character basically switching because just by dice roll mm-hmm. switching your character you still have your same character it's still a monk it's still whatever you're evil and you have to hide that you're evil what do you want just to exist but you can't change you can't change your nature at this point if that had happened i don't think any of us would have realized it not for a very long time yeah and even then, at that point, well, what do you do? Well, what happened to the original Cabal? He died down in that. You killed him. You killed him. Yeah, you all stabbed him. Yeah. And yeah. you're convinced this was the other Cabal. So now Cabal, mm-hmm. this Cabal who looks like Cabal, has none of the memories of Cabal. He just knows he's a an, an magical living being now who can now take over the role of Cabal, can now do whatever he wants, but with selfish intent. Mm-hmm. So that, that would have been an interesting thing. Would that ever cross your mind? No, no. Just because, you know, it... If you have buy-in from the players ahead of time for something like that to happen, and this is like a session zero thing, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe something you discuss with the players ahead of time, um, yeah, you can do that. But otherwise, you just don't want to mess with people's characters to that level. Yeah, where you're like, here's your new character, and, and that yeah. plays into what I said earlier. Because yeah. as soon as you mess with someone's character outside their control, and I, I unfortunately had a player quit my game and has not talked to me since because he felt I was picking on him, and. It was a good call not to do that, I think. I mean, it makes a wonderful idea, but again, 
definitely need to talk to your character your it, players it, first. yeah it's definitely a session zero thing where yeah. you're like okay is any is does anybody have a problem with maybe your character being out of your control and you having to be you know like something play, might happen to yeah. it now you have to play with a slight twist or bend yeah. to it because yeah. of the story how the story plays out yeah and everyone's like no i want to control my own character that's fine yeah that just tells you how to avoid a future problem yeah fun thing on the name of that episode is obsidian while darkly we're talking about uh um easter eggs yeah um so in a mirror darkly was the episode of uh star trek enterprise where they go back and meet the uh the it was the companion to mirror mirror which is where kirk and spock and the rest of them get swapped to the evil versions of themselves in i never saw either one of those so oh, what do they teach in school these days i have no idea yeah, you, you'll have to ironically there's a deep space nine that something has yeah. similar happened. so so mirror mirror um the like there's a transporter incident or something and they get bopped between timelines and the federation is no longer this um benign um you know collection of, of people instead it's the earth empire and the earth empire is taking over all of the universe mm. and you know they're basically ruthless um tyrants that i mean they you know the they're like bomb whole planets out and things like that and so like the good version of kirk and spock and all the rest of them end up in um in uh, the uh, bad universe so the bad versions end up in the good universe and so then you know they have to go and, and find a way back to their good universe without uh you know being being murder hobos themselves mm -hmm. and uh, anyway so then they had a uh, kind of a reprise of that in inner mirror darkly where this a similar thing like that happens where you you end up with the the evil enterprise version that uh the the uh, start the uh enterprise series people end up oh and then everyone's like stabbing each other in the right. back and things like that so that, that was a, a callback to that one. I was I wanted to call it Mirror Mirror, but Obsidian Wall, Obsidian Wall really sounds stupid. No, I, I like this. It, uh, in, in, in Obsidian Wall Darkly is yeah. a heck of a name. Yeah. Which leads us into our second dragon encounter. Yes. We come out, there's a dragon laying on our ship. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. we're, like, uh, we're like, oh God, snoots back. And it's, yeah. no, it's a, a brass dragon. And so yeah, a, a big a big fake there. out by the dungeon master. That led to a very unique voice that you created. Oh, where did really? that? Yeah, where did that one come from? Um, okay, so... Um, Let's actually skip forward a little bit. The dragon likes souffle, glazed carrots, and creme brulee. Yeah, I remember you saying that's a story that you and your kids yeah, used to Yeah, so read. there's a, uh, a children's story called Kenny and the Dragon. And um, the um, audiobook version, the, the dragon, which is a male, has that voice. Oh, okay. So I just ended up using that one. And it was just kind of fun that you had this husky-voiced um, you know, It's very female. cartoonish. Yeah, well, and, and it was really kind of in Kenny and the Dragon. It was kind of kind of cartoonish. The fun thing though, on Dragon Talk, the official official Dungeons Dragons podcast, they actually interviewed last year, I think, the author of that book, who's a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. Shocker. So who knew? You know, it's like it's it's like whoa. So so I, I end up using you know his, you know the the uh, hallmarks of that particular dragon in in this one. So my question that leads in this is because eventually we had to do a skills challenge to basically escape said dragon and get back on our story. Which was hilarious because you had to do two of them. In the first one, you were just supposed to win and get none, out of none there. None of our characters have skills, though. Yes. and <laughs> I mean, they not, have combat not, skills not galore, skills, yeah. but not useful. Yeah. And and so the, the second one was going to be harder, and you're going to keep having to do this until you got out. 
And so like you totally botched the first one. What is it with this party? You totally botched the first one, which was easy one. And then the second one, the next day that was supposed to be so difficult, you just breezed through and, and it got it's, out of there. It's again, it, it all falls down to the die rolls. Yeah. It always does. I mean, if it's not, if it's something, I mean, I have as an example, I think I have like my constitution bonus is something like a nine, right? Mm-hmm. A nine. That means if I roll high, if I roll a 10 or higher, I'm almost guaranteed to succeed anything. And that's when I'll roll the three. It's you just can't you can't predict the dice. Yeah. So we get through that. Um, we finally get back to Port of Magnum, and you can't hide any longer, Alistair. Your name is Cotter. Yep. And boy, was Bryce not happy. But he comes down. He's surrounded in lace. He's dragged off. We're all kind of falling behind him with wide eyes, and we see a totally different side of this character. Holy cow, Cotter's rich. Kinda. Yeah. Quotation marks. He lives in an elaborate house. He has. You have a sister. You had a brother. You had a father. Uh, okay. I mean, this is not how you portrayed yourself. You know, you kind of portray yourself as a man of the people who has no wealth, and you decide to become the route of a paladin in a very folk hero sort of way. That, that was the only lie he he sold. <laughs> <laughs> so we do that, and lo and behold, now not only was his brother telling the truth that he was sick, his brother has passed, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and not only was he sick, but... of the population is dying outside the gates. Yeah. So a quick detective agency is born and we are all investigating everything and we chase down every lead and come up with nothing until the dinner when you let it, when it's finally slipped that hip, that the brother liked rye bread and go once again back to the granaries. And thankfully even the dice God had had enough and I rolled a really high roll and we were able to find fungus. Where did all did that was that an extension of the torque thing? Um, so this one, once again, just kind of um, a really um, fortuitous, but and so a lot of times when people ask me, it's like, what can I do to be a better dungeon master? What can I do to, to a lot of times I tell people, it's like, go have experiences, you know, go camp in the cold when so you can feel what it's like, you know, to have your fingers, toes freezing, mm-hmm. you know, go, go, go for a hike when it's too hot out and, and you're, you know, running out of water. So you can kind of relay those feelings, you know, go to our national parks, go to our historic monuments, So you can go into this like really fancy house. So then you can just have that in the back of your mind. So you can describe a really fancy house to somebody mm-hmm. when, when you get there. And um, so what happened with this one was there was a, uh, podcast called um or it is a podcast called uh stuff to blow your mind which is just kind of a, a wacky science podcast well not wacky but just unusual science topics um and they had a uh episode on ergotism and the ergot is a fungal body that infects grain okay and um it um has psychotropic uh properties in fact a lot of times they think that stories about like werewolves and vampires and things like that are actually basically hallucinations that people would have because people didn't know what this was they just thought oh we got some off-colored rye grains here in our in our rye bread and then they end up eating this basically you know psychedelic mushrooms in with their bread (laughs) wow and um but the thing was it it if you if you got infected with this, it would, as you saw, would basically start to take over the body and your limbs would uh, basically atrophy and, and, and shrivel and die and things like that. So it was really horrific um, what no could kidding. happen. Um, but, you know, just beyond the fact that, you know, you, you went on a psycho trip and you thought that your neighborhood turned into a wolf. Um, anyway, so um, 
you know, just I, I listened to that episode and I'm like, this is there's you know something something here, especially with the fungus thing. So I looked, you know, researched it more and more, and it's like, okay, wow, yeah, if 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 the this ergot fungus and and it's actually something that um, there were like ergot breakouts in medieval times that like took over whole cities and things like that, where just people were you know basically you know dying of this this uh, fungal infection um, on a mass scale. And, um, you're like, yeah, if, if the ergot got into the granary and then was affecting people and they didn't notice it, that, yeah, all these horrible things would happen and, and it would be, it would be like a plague, but no one could, you know, track it down to a disease or anything. Cause it's not, it's in the no, food. It's not like we have sciences though that, yeah. that do that. And, and, um, it more, it affects rye more than it does wheat. Um, it will still get in there, but rye is more susceptible to it. Rye was the the um, grain of the common people, whereas wheat was a grain of the upper class. So it just it's so perfectly fit into Porta Magnum, where you know it would more heavily affect the lower classes and the lower circles, and the higher classes would be less affected. And and but still, every once yeah. in a while, one of them would get it. So and this fungal plague is what really it's also when you look back as we said mentioned earlier at the monastery this is what really included in that there was a sacking of all these religious compounds yeah now clerics and paladins are very rare right now yeah or almost non-existent yeah, you guys rare. had to do a whole mission just to get enough of them yeah. together to, to cleanse the fields so we do that and again that leads to the cleansing the field that may or may not have helped with the food supply because that's that has been a underlying which we haven't talked about in a while but the supplies period hunting game growing crops while we've removed several of the phylacteries causing these problems, the shortages still remain. Mm -hmm. The land has not had time to try to repopulate yet, but the people in the land are still the same number. Yeah. Creates a problem. And and that led to a lot of the conflict that was going on. So, um, so that takes care of coming back to Cotter. We know we actually went through, I think we're missing something where we finally realized the riot was the issue. Group therapy. So that was Creval going crazy. Oh, yeah. We've hit on that. I don't know if yep. we want to hit on it again or not. That, again, once again, it's a, a good off-the-table lesson about why having a player that can be creative is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. It also led to a uh, humbling situation when I did do the homecoming, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but the fun thing there was, um, once again, having Orlana in the party, allowing the dungeon master to turn some of the levers. Mm-hmm. because i mean i think for everybody including you it was clear that craval going crazy well, he was arc, still grunval at that point yeah grunval going crazy um really had run its its yeah. its course i mean it was it was fun for a couple of episodes but it gotten to the point where okay this was actually causing friction in the party mm-hmm. and um which actually in a way isn't a bad thing because you know especially if it resolves it, like it did and it can drive the story forward when it might yeah. be stalling out or going stale. Yeah, and but then we had the problem of you chasing Arlen around the uh, Cotter's mansion, and it's like, okay, well, how am I going to get out of this? And then all of a sudden, I remembered that, oh yeah, one of the things on the wild magic table is you can summon a unicorn. Yeah, and unicorns they have the ability to touch you with their horn and cause you know all strife to cease. And so I just used the device of Orlana because Orlana was having basically wild magic surges mm-hmm. anytime she casts a spell. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this next spell that she casts is going to summon a unicorn, which will stand on Gurnval and pin him to the ground. Right. 
And and so it, it just it was one of those things where it's like I've got this extra device that I can use to diffuse the situation. And, and just as a reminder to our listeners, and again, I know I said this a lot, but it's it's really, really important, especially if you're a younger player. You have to really respect the dungeon master you're with and offer him that respect of saying, hey, I'm going to want to do these things. I understand I'm not trying to ruin your story. I'm just trying to create a situation for my character to even realize there's something going on with my character. And, and really, it, this is a great chance for you to collaborate with the dungeon master. Because yes. then you sit down and then you and the dungeon master can say, okay, hey, yeah, this would be really great. Right. We can work it in this way and this will happen and this will happen. And uh, you can re- you can weave it into the story that way. And then also the dungeon master can right. plan around it and say, okay, and in three episodes, I'm going to have a unicorn sit on you. Yeah, exactly. And it's not expected. So in, in, the, in this case, and he'll, hopefully he'll back me up when I say this, Michael and I have collaborated many many times on Crawl. yes he's, he's been the most complex character i think i've ever ever from the start to now ever ever to make because just how his evolutions this was the one thing that i did not collaborate with him on and it caused a tremendous problem at the table by the time it was done to the point where three or two of the players for sure probably three were seriously considering killing off my character yep i and i was a little blind to that because i thought it was a fun idea and i just went with it on the cuff that can that's what happens i mean you it could go the other way it really could have it could have been a lot better but it wasn't so as michael will say and i will say always talk to your dungeon master <laughs> well and as as owen said in his interview it's like the worst part about it was you know craval started going crazy and everyone looked at me and i would just had a blank face like what mm-hmm. the heck is going on and they're like oh even the dungeon master doesn't know so that right. eventually leads to you know, a very heartfelt moment where I, where I admit that I'm blacking out, I'm losing time, I don't know what's going on, I'm waking up in these situations where you guys are confronting me and I have no idea what you're talking about. So finally, by my own enact, my own actions, pigeonholed us or railroaded us into going to the mountains. Thankfully, you were prepared for that. Um, and that would lead us to a troubled homecoming where we get attacked by a group of dragonborn who fall at Krival's feet, or Gernval, soon to be Krival's feet, praise him as his returning hero. Now I'm caught off guard because at this point, as a reminder, I had not given much to Michael as far as a backstory. Have you ever had a player do that besides me? Um, well, you know, there's ones that just like scribble four lines on a piece of paper and say, here's yeah. my backstory. Yeah, I didn't and, and sometimes, I mean, some people just don't have a creative bent and they just want to have a character, yeah, you know, to, a good time, you know, to, to, to murder hobo their way through an ep- a module or something. Um, but when you gave me the backstory that you had just been found basically left for dead on the side of the road, then that kicked off a whole thing. It's like, why was, why was he found dead on the side of the road? Why did they, Oh, well, it's okay. So they're part of these clans. Well, maybe there's like a clan power grab that's going on and they need to get rid of all the males out of this one clan. And Craval was like the biggest impediment in their way. So they basically had this group of bandits just jump him and then they just dumped him on the side of the road thinking he was dead. Which is interesting yeah. to say that that actually hasn't come up in the game yet in an in a actual, I forget what they call it when it's canon. It's not canon that had that happened though. That was actually never really explored. Yeah, it, it, I came back. It was and hinted went from at there. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hinted yeah. at. You ran into the bandits and then you yeah. found your broken token. Yeah, um, on the way up to uh, up to the mountains, but yeah, yeah you, you you never were able to really nail it down exactly why that happened. Right. So we come back. I uh, end up having to defend a sister's honor that I do not remember for a clan. I don't know. Don't have any thoughts on. I get into this combat range, or I'm sorry, I say I, but Gurmval gets into this combat range, and then what we had been <laughs> talking about occurs—a total class swap. Yeah. Um, at the time, the only person at the table besides me was 
our resident paladin mm-hmm. Bryce, and which was too bad because I it would just been so great if everybody could have been at the table and just get their reaction. Yeah. But just, I mean, like I said, the way the timing worked out, uh, you two were available that particular day and that was it. And we could, and we could record with that. It was just, wasn't optimal, but we kind of needed to. So it wasn't until the next recording when I I think I still had the old character sheet out just for a visual for everyone. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, you know, you look at Gurnvald and he just, he's standing different. He's looking different. He's moving different. And then I swapped the sheets in front of everybody. And I think Matt was probably the first one that goes, you have a new character sheet? I'm like, yep. Yep. And that's where Creval finally stepped in and finally things started making sense. Okay, here's a guy who had a whole different personality. He was a entirely different person, which led to another great story hook about gods abandoning mm-hmm. their followers. Um, and followers abandoning their gods. But before we go there, this is where my punishment for not consulting the Dungeon McCaster came in because you told me the war leader marries the matron mother, which in this case was my sister. Which and, you should totally have known. You grew up in this environment. Right. <laughs> Um, but I didn't, as a person, didn't know that. And I've said it before, it, it took me a long time to kind of get at peace with that because I really was not okay with it. Um, just the idea of it. Yeah. And, and part, I, I, part of I, the, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting yeah. to have such an adverse reaction to that because this is all make believe. Yeah. But I had a very adverse well, reaction it, to that. It just shows the power of this medium that, I mean, in, like we said, when Owen's backstory came out, he wasn't expecting to his to be the first out. And so, yeah, I mean, he was absolutely panicked at the table when that happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, this this game, quote unquote, that we're playing really does have the ability to to bring out these more complex emotions. You know, emotions yeah. and, and, and part of that is just the advantage of playing with adults. I mean, we think of this as a game and games are for kids, but as especially we found out um, or the world has found out, I should say, in the last 20 years. um, No, this is this is a really great activity for adults to play in. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly why here, because, you know, if it's kids, I mean, you know, the the unicorn is good and the dragon is bad. You have to help the unicorn kill the dragon. Yeah. Um, But with adults you can have so many more things you can have things that are morally ambiguous you can have things that are shades of gray and not black and white you can have you can put them in situations where maybe there is no right answer and they have to choose between the lesser of two evils things you just really can't do with youth where you kind of have to make it stri- more straightforward so it's it's a lot more fun to, to play with the adults where you, where you can have them marry their own sisters yeah, and it's been it's been a really interesting for me because uh, except for that one point um We've developed this whole culture for the Dragonborn um, that started from nothing, just an idea for a character in my mind. And then um, we've had I've had to sit at the recording and explain to everybody, well, does this normally happen? And yes, it, this has actually happens quite a lot where the war leader and the major mother are related and it show, it's a sign of solidarity that they are wedded. It doesn't mean that they do anything. It's just, it is literally a title only. And yeah, I got a lot of jokes about it, but eventually they're like, Oh, this really is a thing. Yes, this really is a thing. Michael's not messing with me. Same thing when we talk about, you know, the rites of passages, the scarring, how it's mm-hmm. a father's right to scar their children for their achievements. And, you know, coming up with how, how, how it's, it's very mystical that, for the dragonborn breathes his own breath weapon into the claw and then marks whoever they're going to marking with a marking with achievement you know adri's owl no one's story mark uh cotter's eagle on or his mm. owl on his chest mm. you know they're all very different marks but they're offered very different and reasons. specific yeah. reasons and then having having to sit down ex- with you and go yes they do that okay what yeah. else do they do uh because yeah. there aren't there aren't you know usually when you we talk about Dungeons and dragons it's like they're all walking around together in a town it's mm-hmm. not uncommon to see this that this is probably the farthest we've gone in the storyline with any of the 
uh, and I'm very honored it was me that got to do this, where we're developing not just a backstory, we're developing a background yeah. for this world. Yeah, and, and it's it's been a fun uh, collaboration. Although, as, as you pointed out, sometimes the best thing you can do is as a dungeon master to collaborate is just to sit back and nod your head and be like, "Yes, this is yeah, this well, is exactly how this works." Yes, ex- yeah. the, 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 let, me, ex- let me write this yeah, down. Real except, quick. With, except from the sole example of my amnesia coming forth or whatever you want to call it, um, it has been really good. Mm-hmm. Where did you come up with the idea with the arena? Uh, for the ritual combat? Yep. Um, what else would barbarians have, right? I have no idea. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, just one of the things like, you know, what, what else would the barbarians do to settle their thing? They would have they would have some sort of ritualistic combat that, that would decide, you know, who gets to, to rule the, uh, the uh, clans. And then just kind of ran from there yeah. and try to make it as barbarian as possible. Well, and it's also really interesting is that, yes, they are predominantly barbarians. I mean... Just about all of them, but as other characters have been created, they're also non-barbarians. Yes. There are rangers. There yeah. are a couple sorcerers. There druids. are druids. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are not many, but they are there. Yeah. Well, there's no sorcerers. We 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 figured out really quickly that there would. Oh, be, you're right. There would be divine, but there wouldn't be arcane. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it, and this is a good example of again talking to your DM about the world. I know the first time, the first interview, I mentioned this. We didn't have that conversation. We didn't have a conversation of what, what's in your world, what's not, mm-hmm. because it could have been very easily no Dragonborn. But instead it was the, yes, there are Dragonborns in my world. Well, let, me, let me go write those okay. in right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's been a fun cooperation. Yeah. Um, and then the, the other fun thing was, because you gave me the amnesia backstory, it's like I got to make this whole bare bones of, of the civilization that you didn't know about till you got there, yeah. and then we got to flesh it and out. It was a it was a great flesh out. It was a great bare bones. The one thing that didn't occur on my side of the thing is like when we did that combat where I took out the guy who breathed fire mm-hmm. and snapped Craval yeah. fully into awareness again. I had full intentions of having a cannibalistic moment with him because I, in my mind, because of how you portrayed this barbaric culture, mm-hmm. they're they're barbaric but they're not savage. But this would yes. be a savage moment where. If you break the most sacred law, you're treated as prey. You're not yeah. even you're not even an equal. You are prey, and then that the offending family clan has the right to consume you as the ultimate form of insult back mm-hmm. toward the person and potentially the clan it came from. But you know, you took that from me. It's probably a good thing we didn't do that. But yeah. it, in my mind, it was a whole thing. I think even and I think Matt picked up on it because he was like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna get that body." Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's actually why I had the dragonborn cremate their dead. It's like, okay, this is just a whole thing I don't want to deal with. So, oh no, sorry, you're that that was cremated right after he died. Yeah. So and, too bad. Here's and again, that, while it would have been great, but again, had we done that, then it would have become a, con- a canonical rule that if you're that dishonorable, you get consumed. And mm-hmm. I'm glad you didn't. It would have yeah. been might have been a good moment in the moment. Further in the storyline, maybe, maybe not, not so, so much. much. Yeah. <laughs> so we get through that. We get through the funeral. We get to the second wedding. Craval's is 20 minutes. Poor, poor Bryce's is like 20 hours. Yes. Well, <laughs> and, and so the, the flavor for the um, people at Porta Magnum was basically kind of like Victorian Edwardian um, society. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the people at the top, you had the peasants on the bottom, the people at the top were, you know, the, the men were men, the women were women, the two didn't meet. Um, but of course, as we went along, it very, I mean, even the first trip to Port of Man, you kind of got the feeling that really the women are kind of the ones behind the scenes that are basically running the show. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very, very much that, that feel. Which is interesting because... I'm going to say they're more subvert about it, mm-hmm. whereas the Dragonborn are more obvious. Yes, yes, our females lead the clans, and the men back mm-hmm. them up, yep. and they help enforce. And it's a it's a 
um, symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. The same thing occurs at Porta Magnum, just nobody talks about it. Yeah, it's all it's all under the thing, and, and yeah. as you know, as as uh, like Adri ran into a couple of the uh, the uh, um, you know wives chatting at one of the parties, and one of them's like, "Yes, I can guarantee that my husband will be very." Mm-hmm. Uh, favorable to to uh, this idea, and you know, yeah. it's like there's this whole back channel that the the women are running in mm-hmm. Porta Magnum. That's you know, it's like it, on the surface, it seems like the the men are all running everything, and the and the women just sit back and adore them. But no, underneath the surface, the women are actually kind of yeah. running everything. It's just you know, the, just they're they're doing it uh, with a facade of this this uh, empire, um, you know, Victorian Edwardian sort of uh, um, realm that uh, they're living in. So this, the well, it's not listed here, but I realize that it happens between two weddings and a funeral and then the death of Orlana. And although it's, he's written here as spirit animal, so I'm guessing this is where it comes in. But this is where Creval realizes that he's now just a barbarian. That new um, no, Dianect. Dianect, yeah. Dianect. I'm not going to say he abandoned him, but Dianect realized that Creval, um, when he goes, well, I don't know what happens on a God side of things, but he realizes the person that Creval became again is not suitable for the blessings of night dynect yeah and, which and, is absolutely accurate and it um there was a, a dungeon dragon story i read a long time ago like back in the 80s where um the cleric no longer be, you know can believe in their god and so the spells that they have are just the ones they have on them because mm-hmm. they can't get any new ones because they can't be blessed by their god yeah and so um yeah that's that's kind of the genesis of this one it's like oh yeah if if Creval su- or you know um, Creval suddenly snapped to the fore and now is a follower of Nuada, then yeah, he would now be divorced from any power he got from Dianect, you know, because uh, you know he he would you know realize like oh I don't really believe in the teachings of Dianect I believe in the teachings of Nuada, and so he was in that horrible in between space where you know he had to get back to Nuwada's teachings but for the time being he you know he he basically got cast off of one dock and went to the next dock but in the in-between time was just sort of a drift in between yeah um and that actually kind of made fun because you know like, like you said you, you didn't reveal to everyone right away that you didn't have any powers yeah. and and uh, that made made for some rather interesting combats choices for, for a couple of yeah. times yeah and we went we were back suddenly to cotter having to save those spell slots not for smite but for potential healing yeah um, I know that I've kind of copped in my mind a few times. And I'm wondering if I've, I, I'm curious if other listeners they have had this thought too because we never talked about it. But I went from being a fighter to being a barbarian, and there was a, there was a thing I thought about. Well, what about the skills I had as a fighter? And then there was a whole thought process. And I think if somebody, if we had like a larger fan base, where we're doing a panel, someone would mm-hmm. ask, "What happened to the thought? You know, you are Creval, but you were also Gurnval, and they're very different people. Where's Gurnval now?" And I had a thought that, and I think I think that probably was your thought too. Gurnval is still in Creval, mm-hmm. but I think because of how you set up the world and and then the help you gave me developing this character to me, Creval is not what he was before. He had everyone doing what he said. There was a certain aggressiveness that he had to maintain, and there's a certain way of thinking he had to maintain. His time being the victim, it's being reliant on other people and people to be helpful and kind to him. Now these Creval again, it's now acts as a temperance to all that rage that mm-hmm. was there and all that aggressiveness. He has a broader, wider picture of the world. Yeah. He had a very narrow one at first. 
So, you know, for anyone that was ever curious, in my opinion, I think Graval is only there. He's in there like in spirit mm-hmm. and it's, it's the more mature version of Graval. Cause I had p- points role-playing that you kind of, you know, I think where I was trying to figure out what Graval was still, but with your help and the way you explain the Dragonborn nation, which again, I big props to you for blending three cultures into one nation has made it very interesting to do that. Did you plan to do that? Or was it just kind of came like, this makes sense, and this makes sense, and this, we're going to smash them together, and hopefully it still makes sense? Uh, it, was, it was just kind of organic there. Um, but actually, what, what you were saying, though, is, is really interesting, because it also brings up an, another Star Trek episode. There's there's one where <laughs> Kirk is split into an evil and a good part of him. Yeah, I think I saw that one. Yeah, and um, the, the you know they eventually have to get the, the two parts back together again. But it's also a, a kind of a fun um, study in like like the good part of Kirk is good, but also can't make the tough decisions, right? Because you, when you think about it, it's like you know making really tough decisions and ones that maybe are bad for other people, but you know have to be done for the good of the group or the good of the ship or something like that. Um, kind of have to have a little backbone of evil to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a certain ruthlessness has to exist. But at the same time, if you go 100% that way and just are evil, then you're just making you know decisions solely based on you and your desires and screw everybody else. And so you need that good side to come in and, and say, wait, no, hold on, wait a minute. We, we all have to, to work together here. So it was, it was an interesting um, psychological uh, study in, with those two sides you know what what does the good and what does the bad bring to the table because you know it, as you know it's like we like to have the nine alignments but really for the uh, you know real, real people in the real world you kind of fit fuzzily in yeah. the middle of Shades all of, gray, of that not necessarily yeah. black and white and so yeah it was in, in in to that thing it's like yeah i think you know gernval was a subset of what Craval was and you know when he was yeah. blended back in it, it you know ended up giving Craval more wisdom and like you said a, a more it, worldly it, view it gave rather than being a brash fighter it turned me into a more um controlled barbarian mm-hmm. yeah um so but now out of going back to the storyline out of power um or out of clerical power rather we end up going on to our next section of the story which would be the frozen waterfall yeah this is where all this is coming out. We're running into wolves. They're, these wolves are more fed. They're bigger. They're tougher. We have a guide who's able to get us there because he understands um, the area better than I did. So we get to the waterfall. We go in. We explore this great frozen city behind a waterfall. Where did that come from? That was just, once again, just a, like a little image that, you know, uh, idea spark that I had one time. It's like, you know, it was like, I, th- I think I was like, at some you know frozen waterfall at some place and you could just kind of see stuff through the mm-hmm. th- or maybe even just icicles on a house and you could see stuff through them it's like well wouldn't that be neat if if you know like a group was like trying to get somewhere and they come up against frozen waterfall and they're climbing up the waterfall and they realize that the city they're looking for is actually behind the frozen waterfall yeah and then i had to figure out how mechanically that would even possibly work because you know you would think like a waterfall if it was just like constantly frozen would just be a giant mass of ice that would just continuously overlap and and cover and then would melt off and then come back again and then it uh, but adding the phylactery in is what made, actually kind yeah. of made it happen because the phylactery basically was melting the ice from the inside with just because of the Im- immense amount of power it had and created this ice shell around it. It'd be really interesting to go back and see what it looks like now. Um, so we go in there. We have another great fight with the uh, Ramoras, Ramoras, which was, yeah. a, was a 
this is where we started having to learn to be tactical in our attacks because we first see those brute force versus brute force, but now it's like, hey, now we're encountering creatures where the party has to start think, has to start playing chess with the dungeon master. I don't know if you're going to win these or not. Um, and really, when I picked a bunch of iconic um, monsters for you to go up against, um, you, I, know, you know, I think that might have been the first time I ever fought a Remora. Yeah, and. Um, you know, one one said, especially because, for instance, this is like Bryce and Owen, and then we found out Jesse's very first long form campaign. It's like so. I really wanted it's the longest I've ever been on, and wanted everybody to kind of hit these iconic monsters. There was going to be a Beholder, there was going to be a uh, dragon, there was going to be a Remoraz. Uh, as it was pointing out, there was going to be an Abeleth, but then um, uh, that, that no, got still, shifted. We still got that. We still though. got there, but it ended up you know, being shifted. But you know, I really wanted these iconic monsters to be uh, the ones guarding the phylacteries. And uh, so just chose the Remoraz for this one because you know, it's a, a cold weather creature. At the time, didn't even think about, of course, you know, when I first you know, selected it, we didn't have the full party selection, but didn't even think about it. It's like, okay, this is like the direct hard counter to the monk. Yeah, because it does damage when you do damage to it. The monks yeah, nickel and dime you. A, a two-shot barbarian really isn't going to feel it. A potentially, you know, a caster casting a range isn't going to feel it. That guy's coming up hitting three, four times around is going to feel it. Yeah. So I didn't even think about it at the time, but yeah, it ended up being just the perfect monster to put in here. Yeah. If I, if I, you know, as a as a side if I say Heskin would have a big issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um. So we'd go through the Rosen Waterfall. We have a good role-play moment where I have to give up a magical item, which you totally went with, and it made perfect sense. Um, it says spirit animal. You got well, the I thought idea. that was a really good bit of honesty on your part because you guys escaped out of there. The whole thing had collapsed, and you realized, oh, hey, I never actually said I was going to pick up the javelin, so I didn't. So, And that was that was really nice. Uh, in, in, it's a, in That goes back to respect yeah. to your dungeon master, respect to the game. I mm-hmm. could have easily said he didn't catch it, I didn't catch it. Obviously, yeah. I picked it up, but no, I didn't. You yeah. know, If... if the roles reverse. I would hope someone would do the same thing for me. I yeah. didn't say I was getting my javelin, so I left it behind. And, okay. and it made and it made for I mean a, just a kind of a more um, organic story. Yeah. That's like yeah, I mean that could totally happen. And then the Tafaxi picked it up when they went there the second time, so mm-hmm. it added this nice little connectivity to yeah. this whole through line. Um, which I have a question based on those in a while too. We get back to uh, successfully back to the Dragonborn Nation. We're spending the night before we go back to the city and eventually get to Porta Magnum again. We have what we call the spirit animal, which is where I... You uh, reconnected it with Nuada. Nuada. Yeah. Um, that was a very, like, almost shamanistic situation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, In fact, you consulted a shaman to, to Yeah, uh, well, to it's really interesting yeah. because I think that's one of the... I've only seen it once or twice, but I think the shaman class is a class that, that everyone goes, well, you have druids. I think shamans could... Are, is a potential class that's often overlooked. Yeah. Because I have a feeling, because I honestly had we done that and that was a class, I might have just asked for a total, one my last one would have been just total swap to a shaman. Like he was destined to become the yeah, shaman of the clans. It's difficult. Um, how difficult, to, how how fine do you want to slice the yeah. pie? You're when literally it, when it cutting to, hairs at some point. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what, 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 uh, what could Wizards of the Coast do with a shaman class to make it different than the druid? Or the totem barbarian, yeah. or the cleric, or you know, so you know, and they have had shamans in the game before, but yeah, it it starts to become difficult because especially this, um, some of the classes that are similar to other ones have gotten really you know muddy and messy, like the warlord in fourth edition and third edition. It's like it was 
kind of a warrior class and kind of a cleric class at the same time mm-hmm. and kind of really straddled the line and, and it just it really became very messy and muddy what that class was supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, I think that if you're going to do a shaman, like I really want to play a shaman, you basically go with your player, you sit down, look, they don't have shamans, but in my opinion, a shaman is basically a druid, so why don't we create a shamanic bent for your druid? Yeah. And it, the, and then if you do that and the player is good for you, you're like, yeah, you're right, the druid pretty much is a shaman. Yeah. In my opinion. But I think at that point, you're like, you're not a sh- you're either an animalistic shaman where you do the animals yeah, <laughs> or you're a shaman of the plains because that's where you lived. And mm-hmm. it just, you're a druid. No, I'm a shaman. And, you know, and you just be a child about it. Yes. But again, talk to your dungeon master. Okay. So back to the storyline. Um, the most significant thing, finally, the most annoying character for some people and the most heartfelt for others was the death of Orlana, which you've said that was a plan from the big get go. Mm-hmm. We touched on it in the last interview, how you wish you had done it differently. Yeah, drawn that out a little right. more. Right, it was significant because I, I I know I wasn't expecting her to blow up at all, but I know, I know for me as a player, I was really concerned about Owen's character now. Yeah, and that which which was the the design um, in the in the you know like I said I planned that from the beginning because it's like this is the end result of the mad mages meddling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it, it was chaotic energy. It wasn't under control. Um, you know, there's probably some of his experiments out there, people that are just fine and just have weird things happen around him. But these like other ones, anomaly bad luck, that that are you know more powerful, end up you know going critical and blowing up. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I and um, so I wanted that to happen and then to demonstrate to the whole party that oh my gosh, this is what Arlen's eventual fate is if he can't get his powers under control. Which is what I think everyone thought, because we need yeah. to stop that. And, you know, and I think I once asked him about it, and he said the tattoo is just a flavor thing, but I've always thought it was a relation to a timer going off. Mm-hmm. Full bloom means full bloom. Leaves go away. Ba-boom. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that hasn't come out, so I'm, I'm glad about that. So Orlana makes her sacrifice. We finally get to the Dwarven City. Why peppers? <laughs> And if you don't remember, folks, let me yeah. remind you, he, he's doing like ghost peppers everywhere here. Yeah. Um, so that one was just a kind of a logical leap. Uh, explain so, that logic. So <laughs> dwarves have the cast iron stomach mm-hmm. and can drink to excess and have constitution saves, you know, can ingest poison, things like that. It's like, well, hey, you know, if you have a cast iron stomach and you can like ingest poison and not have it affect you. Really, a spicy food wouldn't be much of an issue, would it? So it's like, you, you, in fact, you'd have to have like ghost pepper level spices just to feel them. So that just, you know, became one of the little um, spots that, uh, you know, in, in making the various um, races that uh, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, dwarves like spicy food because it's they can totally tolerate it. And so it'd be really spicy even for them to even notice. Yeah. Well, it's a great character, or not character, I'm sorry. No pun intended. Great flavor for the yes, city. Yes. But wow, again, poor Arlen. Yes. Well, and actually the, the fun part was the the people that failed their first one, yeah. um, and and it wasn't Creval, and so you're able just to to nudge. I think Cotter was the other one who saved, and, and everyone else was like sweating and dying, mm-hmm. and uh, you're just kind of able to nudge Cotter and say, can't handle their food, can they? <laughs> And yeah, it just became kind of just kind of this fun little aside that yeah, would happen every time you ran into the dwarves. And canonically, now via our resident monk Jesse, that now Arlen just cannot handle spicy, spicy food. Nope, period. Yep. Like butter is too spicy for yeah. him. <laughs> and it, it's it's kind of fun how the yeah the the canon gets developed. You know. 
Um, I think this would be a good stopping point. I know we've been yeah, at we've been while. going at this for two hours, um, so, but we're only about halfway through. Shall we do this again we sometime? We will. We'll have to do a part three. This has okay. been a wonderful time spending talking with you about the little backstories, or not backstories, the backgrounds of your decisions mm-hmm. and your creativity and whatnot. And I think that to those that have listened there, please pass this along because there's a lot of good tips and tricks in here for running your own game or just being a better player too. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, so um, yeah, what what are we going to discover when we get back together again and talk about the second half of this? Well, we'll just have to wait for the next episode to find out. Exactly. <laughs>